0: Tonight's episode of the bill Simmons podcast on the ringer podcast network brought to you by Spotify, which has the best podcast listening experience around. You can change your speeds. I am a 1.2 guy. You can check out charts, biggest podcasts, best trending podcasts, podcasts, separated by genres, whatever you need. Spotify has it. Listen to your podcast on Spotify. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com and the ringer podcast network, where I hope you're listening to the ringer MBA show. Mondays, Raja Bell, who was recently on this podcast on the lottery show we did on Thursday and Logan Murdoch breaking it down. We got the mismatch with Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon twice a week, as well as group chat, usually on Wednesday nights might be doing a little more, a little more reaction pods if there's an awesome game seven, who knows? So check out the ringer NBA show and uh, the rewatchables where we did Caddyshack and pump up the volume last week. We have 40 year old Virgin coming on Monday night. So that's all happening coming up. we and I are going to break down a re- really uh, surprisingly memorable playoff weekend of the bubble because of one man and his name. He goes by one name. He lost his last name. He's just one guy. Now he's Luca. That's it. He's like Beyonce. He doesn't have a last name. He's lost it. He's too good for a last name. That's all coming up. We got a lot coming for you. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right. We're taping this Sunday night. It's Luka Day. It's time for uh, our first playoff Luka-gasm. Look, um, Ryan Rousseau is here. I'm just going to start us off. I don't want to overreact, but I'm going to overreact. I think if somebody is truly great, there's some checkpoints they have to hit along the way in a formative stage. And I think this is one of the things that makes the NBA great because you can go back, you can look at all these different eras. You can look at 75 years of basketball and you can see all of these different people that the players have had who came in early and kind of came through when money was online early in their careers. And then you could look back and go, oh yeah, remember that. Oh man, that was a good sign. And I think LeBron was a good recent example, right? When he had that 2007 48 point game against Detroit, that was his fourth year in the league. I don't want to, I, I, I don't feel like we can overstate this enough. The stuff Luca is doing here in year two as a 21 year old, where he is already this fully formed offensive superstar who goes toe to toe against this Clippers team today that we thought was the best defensive team in the league that we thought was the best team to go against him. He's playing on one leg. He, we didn't know if he was going to play until game time. He has to change how he plays subtly in all these different ways. He's a little slower. He's a little more deliberate. It's a little harder for him to get to his spots. Does it anyway. He's got no poor Zingas. And he comes through over and over and over and over again. And, you know, we see this happen in sports sometimes. Tiger Woods early in his career. We saw it with Mahomes early in his career. It starts to transcend the normal stuff. And I don't know if they're going to win this series or not, but Rossillo. This is the kind of thing we need to see if this is going to be an all-time player. And I really think if he doesn't get injured, he's going to be. So all right, that's so you, how I'm going to
1: start us off. You don't want a Wade Boggs story to start this week. No. All right. So um, I, I'm i always a... All right. Hold on. Let me see. Like I think early Giannis, when everybody got really excited about him, was a fun video clip, but he wasn't a fully formed basketball player. And... Um, maybe sometimes I'm late, but I think also being cautious has prevented me at times from kind of freaking out about somebody. And then we're like, Hey, remember when everybody was losing their mind about this guy? And then, and then it didn't really happen. And that's, that's always been kind of one of my rules. And even though I liked Luca coming out, you know, like, I don't know, you know, we still, you wonder, despite the amazing resume overseas at such a young age, you're like, is it really going to translate that quickly? The fact that they won 33 games last year on that Mavs team that won 24 the year before was almost a sign. Like wait, what, what's going on? Like, how are the Mavs winning even this many games? Because you just looked at the roster and you go, what's, what is there to be excited about? They make the Przingis trade. You start to see some of these pieces uh, around him, whether it's the Hardaway contract. You're like, oh, that's abysmal. That's just a throw-in. And you're like, oh, I kind of like him. Um, I think Maxi Kleber does a lot of really nice things out there. I mean, he hasn't been able to hit a shot really in the playoffs so far. But for Luka to already be this in control, in his first playoffs ever. And yes, it's game four in the first round. I think guys like you and I will remember it forever. If the Clippers end up winning this series, which I still feel like they will, you know, we, we will get lost in all this stuff, but at least in the moment for there to be no other option, And there were even some moments where I'm like, are you seriously going to keep pulling up from 30 feet, man? Like there was a couple possessions where it almost felt like he was trying to match Kawhi because by the way, Kawhi, every shot was great except for the one out of the timeout at the end of regulation where you're like, wait, Kawhi, you're the guy that I trust to always make the right play. I I trust you to never take- Yeah, why are you trying to play for overtime? Yeah, why are you the guy? Like there's so many stars where I go, this guy's going to take a bad shot. Kawhi never does that. And yet here he is at the end of regulation with that. And then, yet he keeps it going. And then Morris of all people hits an overtime three and you go can they really pull this off so it's not just the insane stat line it's not just that it's his fourth playoff game it's that he closes it out without Przingis against a team with Kawhi and Paul George and Morris at least physically who can kind of match Doncic at least from a size standpoint three guys to throw to. him and none of them can do anything with him. And when they know he's not really going to do anything except towards the end, shoot, which is crazy because I had moments where I'm like, do you play him to pass now in the corner and and not charge at him because he's going to burn you? Remember that one where Van Gundy was like that three to the right side? And Van right. Gundy goes, that Insane is pass. legendary. He goes, that yeah. is a legendary kind of pass. And that's probably the best way to describe Luca. He feels like a legend already
0: in his first playoffs. So... You know, who knows if they win the series, they lose, whatever. I think if they win the series, we'll remember this game as a real moment that we'll be talking about 15 years later. If they lose the series, maybe it won't have that kind of impact, but it'll be kind of the coming out party in a playoff stage. I think what impressed me so much about this one, because we've seen him do this before. He's had games like this. This isn't the first time I've watched him have a ridiculous stat line and make big plays down the stretch. The fact that he was compromised, that he was clearly hurt, that... He didn't have that same kind of explosive push off like he, you know, sometimes he has that like 2011 Derrick Rose kind of torque when he's going to the basket so hard. And he just couldn't do that anymore. And he kind of changed how he played. He was a little slower, a little deliberate, but he was still getting the shots and creating the shots he wanted. A friend of a friend of the Mavs sent to me today. He had 77 touches in that game. Think about that. Like, most times, when we, the 90s, like when we were doing those uh, MJ Rewatchables games, there were games where guys, you know, they, where teams took, like, 65 shots in a game. Luca's involved everywhere, and as you said, he's doing it with Maxi Kleber. He's doing it with Seth Curry, who bounced around the league and has now really turned into, I think, a special role player. Trey Burke, who's on the Sixers. I'm going to say the Sixers might have needed him. Um, it's just kind of this Band-Aid team of role players that we always made fun of the 2007 Cavs this is a 2007 Cavs type supporting cast but it's suited to him it makes sense for him everyone can shoot the irony of Porzingis going out is all it did was they just loaded up on shooters even more they start Trey Burke and the Clippers you know whether they come out of the series or not the thing that I would be concerned about is how easy it is for teams to getting it to the rim against them this was their Achilles heel right? um you know, no Beverly is part of this, but
1: not that Beverly is going to slow down Doncic. If if Kawhi has struggling one on one moments with Doncic, certain, to bev- you know Beverly is with the size differential. No shot blocker,
0: um, though. I guess is my the, the bigger no, thing is once you get by somebody, it's easy. You're at the rim. I just think he gets by everybody. So I, yeah. I
1: I don't I don't look at this as oh wow I can't believe the Clippers can't stay in front of him. I I don't know that I'd put it like a peak Rose where Rose would just go side to side on you so quickly. I just. True. I see somebody that understands every angle. He understands right as he's about to start his drive, can I, finish, you know, can I finish away from you enough to clear this, or do I keep driving through and under the basket knowing that I'm going to throw this pass that a lot of other guys can't throw? And when they switched with Jackson on that, on that last play, and you're going, what, what's, what's going on here? Like, why are, that was like, such
0: a fail. I don't know how you don't double Because you have him.
1: time. Because you, you have, have time. Yeah. Like do You got to send two guys at him. Do you remember what Oklahoma City did at the end of regulation when Houston had the ball and they were ready to inbound and they started Harden at half court? They basically put a wall. It was like a tight end staying in with a left tackle to stay yeah. in front of Harden, and they go, you know, figure it out with somebody else, and, and right. we'll go ahead and deal with that. And Harden we'll take doesn't our bother. Luck. And Harden just goes, all right, whatever. You blocked me. I'm done. Um, I I don't like to be hindsight double everybody guy because there's a lot of times where you see the full double and you, you get burned by someone else. But in that point... Uh, At that point, he's
0: shooting. There's yeah. three and a half seconds left. You don't have time to create a shot. I think that the startling thing for me is how sophisticated offensively he is already. And the only experience I have just seeing a rookie come in like that was when Bird showed up at the Celtics. I was living in Boston. We're going to the games. Bird was like 23 or 24 when he arrived to the Celtics. He was a couple years older than Luca already. But he came in and he just had this higher advanced understanding and Bill Fitch called him Kodak because he was like his brain just photographs images and he knows what's happening ahead of time. And you saw Magic come in too in the same season for the Lakers and he was Luca's age. Um, as last year and comes in and has that same kind of feel for everything, but I don't feel like either of those guys really turned into the peak versions of themselves until the mid eighties, you know, and the part I'm looking at Luca, I'm like, he, he's already making the right decisions all the time. So if you're going to be like, all right, what could he get better at? You'd really just say the three point shooting. Because everything else is already at, I don't I, I don't think he can get to a higher level of how he controls the game and creates for other guys, stuff like that. It's the three point shot. It's the fact that he is not a dead eye shooter yet. And in five years, if he is, he's going to be unstoppable. I don't know what happens. Okay. So can I do
1: the, the part, which I think is a very normal timeline for basically every NBA star. He's only in his second year. Yeah, they were not expected to beat the Clippers, and here we are after a game four where the the stat line is. You know, when I pulled it up again, I go, "You to be kidding me?" Forty three points, eighteen to thirty one, four ten from three, which is good for him. He only took five free throws despite seventy seven touches, which seems insane. Seventeen boards, thirteen assists. All right.
0: It's so. But by the way, I love the boards. I love that he fucking rebounds. I I love when my superstar is getting dirty down low and just taking care of business. But sorry, go ahead. I you're going to agree, but. You know, Giannis is
1: facing this right now, not to get ahead to Giannis too much. But if Giannis were to lose in the second round, you know what? If he doesn't get out of the East with the regular season they had on paper, then it'll start to be a little bit, uh, hey, wait. Yeah, what's going on? Player in the world.
0: What do we have here?
1: I mean, the LA fan base had Anthony Davis for one playoff game and started going, you know, this guy's never really done it in the playoffs. Despite when you look at his stat lines, they're insane. (laughs) They just were never better than anybody, even when they beat Portland. And I, because I went back and looked at him, like, wait, does he have any duds? Like, actually, he doesn't. Like, they're they're just insane numbers. So Luca is too young. And in the comp to Harden, you know, I'd seen some people do, hey, how come Harden catches all this shit? And there are so many similarities in their style of play. And you're like, okay, but Harden has been around for a really long time now. Harden's
0: 10 and, years older than him. And,
1: and Harden has the Clippers comeback where he's watching. He has a Golden State loss where he was at the end of the bench lying down. And people are like, what's the deal with this guy? He has that elimination game against the Spurs where people thought he had a concussion because he was just out of it totally. And you're like, is that I think, what it is? I still think he did. Okay. He shot 0 for a million when they were up 3-2 against the Golden State Warriors, and then he has the game at home where Curry goes scoreless in the first half and comes back what I think is the greatest Steph Curry game ever. And even though Harden's final line is really good, you go, where are you? If you're you better did than, you
0: mention the 2012 finals or no? I don't think that that's fair because if you
1: look at the way Brooks well, he's older than
0: him, He's older than Luka in that finals, though. Yeah, but he's
1: not even close to being...
0: Right, like I'm just I'm mentioning it. I didn't want to beat up... But this isn't an anti-Harden thing. No.
1: What I'm saying is, is that Harden has a resume of playoff stuff where Luca could be the exact same player. Luca will be a better version of what we've just seen. Just understanding and just different things. It doesn't mean numbers. The numbers aren't going to necessarily get better. He will become a better player, but then we will find things if he doesn't have playoff success to beat up on him. The same way when it was LeBron needs to go to Elijah on post-up camp, which now seems stupid 10 years later, before he yeah. won a ring, and then he comes back and he's doing post-catches. He didn't have any post-moves. And he had post touches and he would kick it out to other people. But LeBron never became this like terrific post actual like post move McHale type stuff. I mean, nobody does that stuff anymore. So it's not an an anti-Luca thing. It's just the
0: reality of how we treat our stars. Yeah. But here's the thing. You mentioned LeBron. I don't feel like LeBron got to the level as an all-around basketball player, even though he'd already won MVPs in Cleveland, where he reached another level that second year in Miami. And I think those those second and third Miami years, something something changed, and he just kind of figured out exactly who he was on a basketball court, how to take the best advantage of his teammates. He figured out efficiency stuff that he hadn't really, you know. And then it, as the moment got bigger, he just could solve stuff over and over and over again. And I, I think that's the Luca thing that how young he is. You think he's somebody, figured these
1: things out? You already think he's figured all these things uh, out. Just to
0: no to yeah. watch him have the right answers a lot yeah. of the time here at the age he's at. I don't think we can talk extensively enough about how rare that is. And you're comparing him to Harden. I think statistically and what he does for the teams, yeah. But I I just think from a talent impact standpoint and his age, he has a chance to be one of the all time guys. Like all time, I'm talking Lebron, Bird, Magic, Oscar Robertson, Kareem. Wilt all these guys because the stuff he's doing has no parallel to anything we've seen in the last twenty years, and it, it is not hyperbole. It is not overstatement. I felt this way the entire time. I felt this way when he was in Europe, when he's eighteen years old playing against a bunch of thirty-year-old dudes who were smoking after games. He's just dusting them. Um, I just think he's really special, and and it's weird that, you know, we do this with Mahomes and the NFL. It's like everyone kind of Mahomes at a point where everybody just kind of looked at each other and said wow, this guy's really different. This guy's special. And, and I think Luke is there. And if it took today's game for people to finally realize that, great. But, you know, he had a couple moments against Kawhi. And Kawhi didn't guard him a lot in this game. But near the end, Kawhi was like, all right, guys, I got this. And I'm not saying he dusted Kawhi. But Kawhi was trying. Kawhi has been unbelievable in the bubble. This is like full-fledged, you know, impact Kawhi, everything you'd want. Luca was like kind of getting the shots he wanted, and Kawhi was like gave a shit. And I, I've never seen anybody do that to Kawhi. I'm not saying he destroyed him, but no, because Kawhi he was like really trying, and and Luca was still getting to his spots. There were there
1: are two plays in the playoffs that I've I've enjoyed more than any, and actually one was was Embiid where it looked like he didn't have Kemba... looked like he lost Kemba on the baseline, and then he just turned and blocked him, and I thought he killed him for a second. And it was right, just, right. It was a little reminder of, when I'm big and you're really small, I can recover. But it was Luka at the end of... Was it game one when they lost, but he was just trying to drive... To, it was, yeah, Perzingo was just thrown out. At the end of game one, Luka just decided, you know what? I don't think any of these guys actually can stay in front of me. Like, none of them. So yeah. I'm just going to keep going. And he threw a shoulder into the center of Kawhi's chest and Kawhi like recoiled off of Luca. And you're just not used to seeing that. Now Luca did have a drive on Kawhi where Kawhi is so good, where he's upright, his chest is out and he was still reaching at the ball in a completely controlled way, trying to flick it away from Doncic while he's also, you know how hard it is to reach and try to flick the ball away yet still have really good position and Kawhi held up. Luca couldn't get him on that one. And then Luca took, a step back and that's just the win. He missed the shot, but you could just tell like whatever the matchup is, that's a win there. But I'm, I hope you understand though. When I, when I point out the Harden stuff, that's not to bring up. It's just the predictability of how the rules work for any superstar. So I think they're very similar, right? But for all the love that we have for him and it's all, uh, none of this is overstating it. I'm with you on that part of it, but there's very little negativity because this is his first playoff round. This is there, there's True. nothing to Harden's, knock. Yes. Yeah, it, Harden. It, we've watched for a long time. Most of these guys have their war. Most I of it. these guys are going to have negative playoff outcomes where, you know, the longer you're in this league, the math just works kind of against you because very
0: few guys at the
1: end of it get to be the champ.
0: I thought Kawhi was the best player I watched over the past week. Um, just his all-around play. I thought the game three that he played on Friday night was at just absolutely ridiculous. I, it was actually the first time I felt like he was 100% healthy in a couple of years. I, there's no, like, his leg's not dragging at all. He's got his full explosiveness. He's in complete command. He's doing whatever he wants. He has a couple of wow plays every game. And I just, I, one of the topics I had written down before this game was, why do we keep forgetting that Kawhi is the best playoff guy in the league? Because there's two seasons, as we've talked about a million times, there's regular season playoffs. I just, Kawhi is the guy I would want first um, if I'm trying to win the title right now of all these available guys. It was interesting to watch Luka just go toe to toe with him. And, you know, the biggest advantage they had today was, I don't know what's happened to Paul George. And I don't know if this is a <laughs> funk or if he's hurt, but not well, only was he, he terrible, he's,
1: but he's he, had had, couple, he must be hurt. He may, He has to be because he had ice on his shoulder last two games.
0: Well what what are the possible explanations? He's hurt or he's just in a complete funk. But this guy was the number three candidate for MVP last year. He, he finished in third place, and if you watch this game, you would have thought Marcus Morris was Paul George. You'd thought, like, oh, Marcus Morris is the the big acquisition right he's like, "No, no it's that actually Paul George, the guy who's two for 14, taking some of the worst shots of all time and completely disappearing on the other end. Um, I don't what do you thinks happened to him? All right, you know who you're talking to here, right? I know, because I'm just saying, What do you think, how do you explain the last week? It's Paul George.
1: Okay. I mean, even this is bad. I mean, he's obviously going to go off for 30 at some point because he's just due. I thought it might happen in game four because he was so bad in game three. And I'll keep track of like how many points. He had zero, I think, in one half of one of the games in this series. And I'll look at halftime and be like, okay, let's see what happens. Yeah, because he had nine points in the third quarter of the game. I believe that he had zero at the half, or maybe it was two. Doesn't matter. Here's a problem for Paul George. Is Marcus Morris thinks he's better than Paul George? And well, he has been for the last. He week. has been right. If Mark, if Paul George had Marcus Morris's attitude, he'd be the best player
0: in the league. But well, he's, G- Marcus Morris was the second or third best player of the Clippers the past week. Guess who was in the top three? Paul Zubac
1: George. was really good today, too. By the way, uh, Zubac had and the Williams really.
0: Uh, if Paul lewd. George is
1: even mediocre today, they win by ten. Yeah, he he's so bad right now that. You can tell, he's like, all right, I'm going to be, you can actually see his energy on specific possessions where he's like, I haven't done shit in like six minutes, seven minutes. Right, I need one, I need a taste. I'm going to get one, and then he hit a layup on a drive where the defender kind of lost him. And then he went right back at him and didn't make the layup. And then it was done. Now, Dallas has done a bunch of things where defensively they've had a small guy on Morris. And Morris is like, look, I'm going to try to post up a Seth Curry on a switch. I'm going I'm to if this is the actual defensive assignment, not even a switch, I'm going to post this guy up. And as you and I both know, when you watch Marcus Morris over a long period of time, you almost want him to shoot a little bit less, even though we realize he's a pretty talented guy. But what is happening to Paul George, at least, is Morris is awaiting for Paul George. Morris isn't thinking, I need to get it back to Paul George. Morris is like, I'm going to get mine. And so that makes somebody who, I just think, George is a very apprehensive player. He just is. When things really matter, he's apprehensive. I've already mentioned the resume a million times, and it's kind of funny to see, at least for me, because I've done these segments with you. I did this other thing about 30 and thirteens in my podcast this week, where there's a group of really good players in the league where if they had 30 in a playoff game, you wouldn't be surprised, but you also wouldn't be surprised if they had 13. And Paul George is the number one pick, and now more and more people are starting to notice this as if it's new and it's not new. So, I, the, the quick answer is I don't think anything's really happened to him other than this is kind of who he is is but he's he's due to go off he has to at some point because that's usually what he ends up doing
0: they should be ashamed the clippers <laughs> honestly they they should be ashamed and embarrassed the series is 2-2 porzingis got thrown out of a game yeah right luca sprained his ankle and missed what did he miss half of game three or
1: he they brought the, him back and it was, last 40 he, yeah he was it wasn't, even, it wasn't even close yeah
0: Luca, no Porzingis today, and Luca on a sprained ankle. This series should be at least three-one. They should honestly be ashamed. Not to mention, they had the ball in regulation with twenty-five seconds left. Called a timeout. Came out of the timeout with the strategy of Kawhi: kill as much of the clock as you can. He went a terrible (laughs) twenty-three-footer, and maybe the ball, maybe the buzzer will end and we'll go to OT. It's like, what are you doing? Kawhi can get whatever he, whatever shot he wants, whatever he wants. Just get a good Kawhi shot. Why are you playing scared? Um, I
1: they think were doubling be- him at times. I don't know if that was part of the concern, but he did go. He went so late that he didn't really give himself a chance.
0: Look, they have today. Other than Luca, do you think the Clippers had the next five best players in the game? Uh is you, would you be Seth Curry versus Marcus Morris? Is probably a wash.
1: I mean, Kawhi was so good down the stretch when it looked Kawhi's like they amazing. were going to lose the game, and it's yeah. like what it's it's like. I don't have the scores in front of me here if I want to go back. No, and they, were down, the game long. they
0: were down. They were down five on defense with like a minute and a half left and Reggie Jackson. It was Jackson 116, had that great 109.
1: Save. It was 119. Yeah, it was one nineteen one eleven 111 when Jackson made that save where it was the perfect pass to Kawhi, who catches it, shoots a three that made it 119, 14. So that whole stretch, you're going, all right, Dallas is still going to win this game. And Kawhi is just so. Systematically- I wasn't saying that
0: because no. I've watched Dallas blow leads like that all season as have all the other mass fans. I guarantee there wasn't a mass fan going. We got this. It's it's all good. Um I want to take a quick break then we'll come back talk more. Quick break to talk about our special Ultimate Hoops Ringer Contest on FanDuel. You can keep playing fantasy basketball throughout the playoffs. Every day we're going to have a playoff game on the Ultimate Hoops Ringer Contest. $5 entry fee per contest. If you win, You get a ticket to the leaderboard series during the NBA finals where all the winners will compete for a share of 50K cash ringer swag and to be deemed the sole survivor of the ultimate hoops ringer. The great thing about this is every day is a new chance to win the day and advance to the finals. There's still time to enter contests for a chance to get into that leaderboard series. What are you waiting for? Learn more. Enter at fanduelcom slash hoops ringer age and location restrictions do apply. Just quickly on this clips this whole clips maps thing. There was a point this morning where we were looking at maybe not even a game 6 in any series round 1, right? Cuz you're thinking like all right, OKC is basically one play away from being down 3 nothing in that series. Um, Utah, Denver, it looks like Utah could win that in five. And you're just going down the line. You're like, oh man, what, what would they do? Would they have to move all these up? And now we have a lot more stuff in play. But with this clips, Mavs thing, is there anything you're seeing from the clips that may have made, has made you change your mind that they're the team to beat? Cause for me, I guess the only thing, the only thing I've noticed over the first four games Versus a team like the Mavs, the Mavs to me seem like a true team. They're not very good, but they're a true team. They're built. They're almost built like a high school team. Like Luca's the Jimmy Chitwood, you know. Porzingis is the big center. They got to keep him involved sometimes. Got, they got, a bunch got of enough shooters. white
1: guys for Hoosiers, <laughs>
0: right? They have a bunch of guys with chips on their shoulders who other teams have given up on, you know. Yeah. And and you could see from the reaction when Luca made the shot. You know, if you're grading like, oh, I'm studying the team chemistry just from reactions. Like, you could tell that that Mavs team is all in on each other. Like, they re- that team is really close. They love each other. The clips, to me, still seem like a bunch of hired guns. They have a, a pickup basketball kind of vibe to them. And I think some of it has to do with they don't have a true kind of creator other than Kawhi. It's a lot of one-on-one stuff. It's a lot of people who weren't there a year ago. But when I watch them, It still feels to me a little like how the 08 Celtics felt until they finally started to get those scars in the playoffs where the 08 Celtics, all the guys were new and it just felt like a pickup team the whole year, even though they're doing well. It was just like, these guys aren't used to each other. And then they had a couple seven game series and they kind of started to get used to each other and then they kind of took off. Do you feel that with the clips or am I overanalyzing it? I feel like Luca doesn't make that shot. You're, you're talking about a team that's up three one
1: and was still probably the better looking team of any of the teams in the West. So Okay. That's why I, I asked. I'm not I'm not I think Beverly not being there is is a lot for them emotionally because George is a a dud emotionally. Okay. Kawhi is not going to <laughs> Kawhi's a robot. <laughs> yeah. He's just he's just not he's not programmed that way. Uh, Zubac is not going to be that guy. Morris is probably the most emotional player out there. Even Lou is a little laid back. So they need Beverly back there. They do. And you can tell Doc, despite how much we want this team to, to be the team in the West, at least for those of us that pick them, the guard situation. I mean, it's crazy. You're in the playoffs and this is the challenge of a shutdown for four months and then figuring this out on the fly. And the fact that the Clippers this wasn't by design. Like I remember going on with Cowherd. And he goes, "You know, they did a really good job of resting all these different guys and all these." Things. I go, "Yeah, but you know what? Like, I think if they were being totally honest with you, they would tell you that it would have been nice to have 20 straight games with a tight rotation and knowing what you were going to do for the most part." And they've already changed their guard rotation a couple times in this, where they bailed on Reggie Jackson. He had a game where I think he played like 20 minutes the first, 18 minutes the first half, didn't have an assist. And you know, Reggie Jackson's going to have some moments, and I think the hustle plays for him are the important ones now because it's like, hey, man, if you got Kawhi and even this version of Paul. George and Morris and Lou Williams and Zubac cleaning up everything in Montrez coming back, which is another part of this where they got rid of him a little bit today. Reggie Jackson doesn't need to drive into everybody to see if his layups are working. Okay. And he's hit some threes. So that's helped. But they sham who we loved after the Tobias Harris trade. He almost forgot he was on the team. So well, he got, he got sick. I yeah. think they're still trying to bring him back hundred percent. Right. But he just, he doesn't look like the same guy. So it's still a confusing group. So I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong, but I, I think Van Gundy made a really good point where he goes, their energy is just off. And it kind of goes back to that doc. Rivers. That's why I brought it up. Right. Where doc rivers. The first time he said it, when, you know, I was in Boston and I said, you know, we were interviewing before a game and the other team was missing one of their big guys. He goes, you know, I'd rather him be out there. And I thought it was, I thought he was lying. But he's consistently always said this because he goes, as soon as the other team doesn't have one of their main guys, your team relaxes, your team relaxes. And whether that was Doncic coming back into the game, um, he was like, yeah, it's fine if he's coming back. Or when Doncic had some fouls, he's like, I don't care. I don't like to get distracted to chase fouls or Przingis not being there today. It wasn't the case. They were down 21 points. So whatever it was, they were up for it. But they relaxed. And then they relaxed. Van Gundy absolutely pointed it out. And that's what's so great about Van Gundy is that he's pointing out just stuff other people don't pick up on. He goes, right now their energy is a problem. And then you could see Doc went really small to switch defensively. But he also was doing something where he had five guys that could score out there,
0: which I went, hey, I know they lost, but I like that he tried it. I think one of the things I've noticed with them, I don't really know how to describe Kawhi and Paul George as a tandem. And I don't, I don't think they've found their identity as a twosome yet. You think of like twosomes over the years, right? You could feel it in the MJ doc, The Last Dance, when him and Pippin finally became a twosome in the year before they won the first title. But they all of a sudden, they just kind of took off and collectively, they were almost more powerful than these two separate entities. And you've seen that over the years. Sometimes you see when, when stars get thrown together. I remember Davis and Boogie Cousins before Boogie got hurt. They just kind of had something together. It was like, oh, this is, this is cool. I think Tatum and Brown have something together, you know, and you go down the line, like LeBron joined Wade in Miami in 2010, the supporting cast was bad. They, they definitely had, they developed a chemistry over the course of that year. And they would have the alley-oops and stuff. And there was like a connection with them, even though they didn't win the title. I guess my question is what's the connection with Kawhi and Paul George? Who, if you were to describe it, you're like, what is this? Because Kawhi is clearly the alpha dog. I think Kawhi is the best playoff guy in the league. So does Paul George know, like, I'm Pippin? I'm going to fill in all the blanks? Or does he think it's the two of us together? It, it, it's kind of like they're on the court together, but they don't interact. And I, I think it's weird.
1: Ross from Friends would be the alpha dog if he were teammates with Paul George. Okay? So, <laughs> I... <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going through my head, trying to think of another top tier player where Paul George would be the alpha. And it just, I don't believe that exists. And that's part of the problem. George, but what's his with, role
0: on this team? What would you with, want from Paul George? If Paul George called you and he's like, Hey Ryan, can you help <laughs> me figure this out? I'm struggling. What would you tell him?
1: You know how, when they send traps at Damian Lillard and it just means now CJ's going to go four on three and make a really good decision or, or yeah. have a nice look. That's what Paul George should be doing here. And there were moments where they were doubling. I don't know the total number. Maybe it wasn't that many. But I would look for what Paul George was doing, and he watches. He just watches. And you go, wait a minute, man. If they're sending two at Kawhi, now it's on. Like, you should be able to get past all these guys anyway. Like, yeah, Hmm. Max Kleber stays upright. But, I mean, you're Paul George. Are you kidding? So, it is... it's just a mental thing with him that I, I don't I don't know that this is really that hard. You know, I, I don't want to keep doing it over and over again. But he needs to at least, if you can't get it going and hit some open shots or, you know, just I, I would hope to get him going to transition a little bit. You know, really, I, I would. So I would that find- was my
0: biggest note. If, I, if I'm the Clips, I would play faster because I think they have so many athletic advantages. You got a team out there that's got Seth Curry and Trey Burke and you know, Maxi Kleber and you, you have better athletes across the board. Why are you walking it down? If I'm Dallas, I'm like, this is great. Go half court on us. This is awesome. Cause we're just going to shoot threes on the other. end anyway, we're going to shoot more threes than you. And now that you're slowing down, we don't have to worry about fast break. Now we can play Seth Curry and Trey Burke together. We can do, we can play Boban, please slow down. And that, that was, I was confused by that. I was also confused by over and over again as Dallas was pulling away in the fourth quarter, Why Lou Williams was on Tim Hardaway and Luca is just like, oh cool, I'm just gonna keep getting a switch and I'm gonna keep torching Lou Williams and and Doc was just sitting there for three minutes doing nothing. There's I I just don't feel like as talented as this Clippers team is. Sometimes they do things where I'm like, wow, you're the team that's the favorite to win the title. Yeah, but why are you such a work in progress?
1: Yeah, but well, because they didn't play. They really there's no version of this team that. And and between Lou being gone and then coming back, Montrez being gone, coming back, um, Beverly being... I, I, look, I'm just starting to repeat myself, but you're right that they haven't yeah, had the continuity move. that you would want them to have. But I also think Lou Williams is in the game because his scoring per minutes, it was off the charts. Today.
0: I get it, but move move him to Kleber and at least make somebody else set the pick for Luka. And if, it, if it's Kleber, great. Then, all right, then you should... I, the Tim Hardaway thing, it was just over. Anyway, um, I do want to mention... We were robbed that that Luka shot didn't happen. This is the first time I really miss fans. Luca made that game winner. That that didn't happen in Dallas in a game four. I almost feel like the fans would have charged the court. I feel bad for the (laughs) Dallas fans. I mean, Dallas, they win the lottery, literally, with this guy. He falls in their lap. Three teams pass on him. It's still the dumbest thing that's happened this century um, for NBA purposes. And I know it's they've got to be so happy, but to be distant from it, to not be able to actually see it in person, it's got to be a bummer. Anyway, would you hold
1: on I, rapid fire Luca questions? Would you trade yeah. the entire Celtics roster for him right now? No. Would you move back to Boston if he ended up on the Celtics next year?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That'd be the one thing that could get me back. Somebody, Jason Gay asked me if, you know, Luca and Porzingis or Tatum and Brown. He was like, he, people would take Luca and Porzingis, but Tatum and Brown is a little closer. And my thought was like, I would take Luca and anybody against so-and-so Any. and a second person, right? Because at Luca's age and really injury is the only thing that's going to stop it. And you just get him for the next 15 years. And we know like, to me, it's like him and Giannis specifically. We never have to worry about these guys competitively. There's never going to be an Embiid situation like the Embiid situation we just watched over the last week where you're just going man, he looks exhausted 24 minutes into this playoff game. Or, oh, man, I wish this guy would work on this. Like, those are two guys we never have to worry about. I I want to talk about Philly. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Is this, can you remember being more disappointed in the 21st century in a basketball team? Okay, I didn't know we were just how it, at the
1: basketball. I was racking my brain
0: in a basketball team for what the ceiling was versus how it played out over a 15-month span? Maybe that
1: Lakers team that loaded up with Howard, Hmm. Casal, Nash, Kobe, but it wasn't wasn't a four-year soap opera. Five-year soap opera is what this feels like. So it was a shorter disappointment than what we have here with the Sixers, but we've basically done the same Sixers segment for about three years is what it feels like. Well,
0: we're gonna do another version of it right after this break. Let's talk about the Home Depot where decorating your home is now easier than ever before. Start by heading to homedepot.com where you can shop for everything in every room, browse thousands of furniture pieces and decorative accents to fit any style, explore bedding, bath linens, kitchenware, small appliances, all at the right prices. Whether you're looking for a brand new look, a seasonal refresh, or simply some finishing touches, the Home Depot is all the pieces you need. And the best part Shop today. You'll get free and flexible delivery with easy returns. Plus, for a limited time, you can save even more on the styles you love when you use code BillSimmons10 at checkout. BillSimmons10. Recently, I bought an awesome Keurig machine from the Home Depot. They kept me notified when it was coming. It arrived right when they said it would, and it's been awesome. Here's some great news. The Home Depot offers free delivery on select items, $45 or more, and now for a limited time. You get $10 off the styles you love when you use code Bill Simmons10 at checkout. It's Bill Simmons10 valid on select items online only. Find exactly what you're looking for and more at homedepot.com slash decor. So here's how we're going to mix the Sixers segment up this year. I assume, well, Brett Brown's going to get fired. I assume Elton Brand will get reassigned to a different role in the organization. The Sixers call Ryan Russell and they say, hey man, we're hiring you as a GM. Figure this out for us. Here's what you got.
1: How long's my contract before I say you, yes?
0: Well, first you say <laughs> I need five years. Um their payroll the next five, next three years, 147.4, 147.3, 138. So three years from now, they're 20 million over the cap, at least. They have Simmons, five years left, 169. Tobias Harris, four years left, 147.2. And left four years, 120.2. Horford 3 years 81 and Richardson 2 years 22.5. Uh Horford and Harris are untradeable. Richardson's probably tradable, but what, what are you going to get? And then it becomes a if we blow this up we probably have to blow it up with by trading Simmons or Embiid or you talk yourself into no no, we're going to get a better coach. It'll be a be- a coach will be able to figure this out. What would you do? What would be your first move? Well, I tell the staff, I go, I probably am not in the position here of wanting to
1: make ourselves worse to move off of Harrison Horford. I mean, Horford is declining. That third year has some really weird guarantees that probably aren't super likely. So the total number on that in the third year maybe is a little bit more palatable for a team, but it just looked pretty bad. I mean, there are moments where we saw him slowing down with Boston, although we appreciated what he was, but that's why Boston was like, all right, go ahead. When it became that number. I do, they-
0: I do feel bad that he's completely out of position on this team. I mean, I think he's on the right kind of team where he's a stretch five. He could be useful, I think, not for 27 million, but I don't. I just think this is the worst case scenario situation for him, and has been from day one.
1: Harris might be. I know John Wall is up there. You know some of the the Westbrook stuff. Where I go, at least if I were trading for Westbrook, I think I would know what I was getting. Um, Even though his 47 million dollar number three years from now is pretty scary but I think I'd rather have him at 47 million than Tobias Harris at 39 million four years from now. Harris Oof. is is one. Would you agree that Tobias Harris deal right now is one of the five least tradable contracts in the NBA?
0: Oh, I think they have two of the top five. I think wall. So wall is 41.3, 44.3 and 47.4. He's number one. Um, I think Blake Griffin at 36.8 and 39, not knowing if he's going to be able to play basketball at a high level anymore is in the top five but I think you could make a case. Harris is two, And I think Horford is probably three, honestly, unless you want to say Kevin love for 30 million a year. Yeah. Kevin love is three years at 30. Is that what we're talking about? Kevin loves 31.3, 31.3, 28.9. So I think he's in the top five Wiggins contract.
1: I like, I can't wait to see what it looks like now though with him. There's a chance that it looks a little bit better, but three years, 94.6 million on paper right now looks terrible. Um, yeah, $47 million for Westbrook in three years, or that'd be in two years, because he's got three years plus 132. Uh, John Walls, $47 million in two years. You know what? When I was doing these, because you and I were texting each other about this, can I just shout out the Chicago Bulls? Yeah. Who gave Felicio, Cristiano Felicio, or no, it's Christian Felicio, excuse me. Christian Felicio. Yeah. They gave him four years and $32 million after <laughs> after not even 100 games. He played 10 minutes per game his rookie year and then 15 minutes per game in his second year, and they were like, here's $32 million guaranteed.
0: That's well, unbelievable. So here's your best chance to get rid of Harris, a team that's delusional and thinks they're one scoring forward away and looks at it as, oh, well, it's Harris. One of those years is gone, so it's basically like we're signing him as a free agent for four years, 147. It's a little high. But like if you're Chicago, and I don't think they would do this, but Chicago could be like, cool, we'll trade you. Otto Porter's expiring and Feliciano's expiring. You basically get a reset with that Harris money with these huge expirings and we'll take on Harris. He's great. I'm not saying they would do that, but that's really their only option to get rid of that contract. Horford is tougher because. The the Horford one is
1: actually uh, like with the third year guarantee on it, I think it's easier to digest. Now, you could do... I was talking to some people about this, right? Because we knew yeah. what the homework assignment was. Um, the first thing I wouldn't do is I wouldn't attach a million draft picks just to get rid of the guy. So I don't want to end up in draft pick hell. Agreed. Just because now... Because those draft picks, if you trust yourself and if you actually are named a GM, no GM goes, you know what I suck at doing? Drafting. I fucking right. suck at it. So I should just trade all these picks because I just, I just don't get it. Whatever it is about these college kids, I just don't see it. <laughs> you know, no one does that. So I wouldn't want to trade... All of these potential, at least a role guy, a rotation player, that's a lot cheaper than me having to beg my seventh choice to come off the bench and pay him way too much in free agency anyway, even though I don't have any cap space. All right, so then it comes down to a Simmons and Embiid thing. Even though I like Embiid more as the player and the talent, I would probably look to trade him because I am so tired of watching him be exhausted in the second halves of all of these games. And look, man, I think we both really like him. But the first three games of this series, points per game in the first half, 19. In the second half, 11. Field goal percentage, 59% in the first half. Second half, 29%. From three, 0 for 4 in the second half after making a couple. Rebounds cut from 9 in the first half to 4
0: in the second half. He doesn't show. Well, and, he, and he also, he, he, he jumped his stats in garbage time in game four. He had 10 points when the game was over. That's why I didn't count So you that said well. 11 in the game in the second half. Yeah. But it's really it was really like seven, and then he made a couple shots when the game exactly, was exactly exactly. So he had the weakest thirty and ten I've ever watched in my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, that's good.
0: No, it's a good footnote. Put- he, he was somebody- completely. I I was embarrassed for him. Honestly, I'm embarrassed for him. He was completely out of shape. He looked exhausted. He some of the stuff he did on defense in game three was astonishing. And, and for whatever reason, I thought the announcers were way too favorable toward Philly. I was honestly embarrassed for Embiid. It's, it's like they single-handedly got Kemba Walker going in that series. Kemba was like, I don't really have my legs back. I don't have my feel. Well, here's what'll help take, take 50 wide open jumpers. You're, you oh, I'm back. Hey, I remember what I'm doing. And partly it's because Embiid's just under the basket hanging out. I was embarrassed for him. I, 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 he's the guy I would trade. I would come in. and I'd be like, we have to trade Embiid. This is only going to get worse. I don't think he takes this seriously enough. That's but I wouldn't
1: it. I wouldn't tell anyone on my staff we have to trade Embiid. I would say, hey, call all your second and third level guys and see what we can get for Embiid. Um, yep. but here's what's gonna happen. Like I could sit here and say, hey, you know, what makes sense on paper? But what I wouldn't do is make my team worse talent-wise just to split these guys up? Because here's what's going to happen. The new coach is going to come in, and the new coach is going to say, I can fix these guys. And there's yeah. a really good chance you are going to give the new coach one year to figure this thing out. Uh, I wouldn't want anyone to ever think I have to trade either of these guys, but I don't know. Did you do the exercise of, of trying to have a realistic conversation about what could happen with either of these players? Because I do think you would obviously get something real for either one of them, but would you then be trading the best player for two lesser pieces and then really think you're a better basketball team? I would not trade Simmons.
0: I think Simmons is borderline special and if he had been in this series and Embiid was the one who got hurt, there's no way the Celtics sweep them. They would have won one of those games. I I think if anything we learned people take Simmons as frustrating as he is and the holes are, you know, it's like goes back to my old 90-10 theory that about Westbrook where somebody's 90% good and the 10% is really glaring with certain guys. With Simmons, it's probably like 13, 15%, but it's so glaring that you end up getting frustrated and holding against him. He was the only guy on that team who could create a shot. He was the best defender on that team by far. He's the most competitive guy on that team. And I just think they would have put up a bigger fight. I was embarrassed for them. I don't know whether they were quitting on their coach or what happened, but as a Celtics fan who loves the Celtics, we lose Hayward in game one. I was never worried. I bet on the Celtics every game this series, <laughs> I was never worried. I always thought the Sixers were going to roll over. I thought they were terribly coached. And even you see Brett Brown today, he's like, you know what? I go- I don't care what the numbers say about Embiid and Horford together. I'm running it back. I want to see if I can get them to minus 15 again together. Like, he just didn't get it. And, and to think like Shake Milton, the team was, Shake Milton was going to be the answer. The fucking guy can't throw an entry pass. So I partly felt bad for Embiid because nobody could get him for the ball. But on the other hand, he was so fucking tired. It didn't matter anyway, because he, you know, all he had to do is run back and forth a few times by the third quarter, he was dead. And I, I just think it's such, when you think of where they were before the Harris trade, and it all goes back to the Harris trade, the Harris trade, they gave up a bunch of assets for this guy. It's a weird piece. It doesn't help them get even past round two. Then they panic and overpay him and give him one of the worst contracts um, of the last five years. And it's like, you make the mistake and then you compound the mistake by making the second mistake. That's when teams get fucked up for five years. And this team is now fucked up. I don't think the process was a failure because a lot of the moves, they all got in a position of where they were, you know, January, 2019, where it's like, you have assets, you have Jimmy Butler and Bede and Simmons, you have a chance. But now okay. looking back, it's like, man, this is probably the worst way the process could have played out. They won two round one series. This is a seven-year odyssey now. They've never made it out of round two. Jazz odyssey. They just got swept. All right, let me push back
1: a little as Please. if I'm from Philly and go, yeah, but you already answered, like, why are you beating up on my team when we, you just said how special Simmons is now. And I think for those of us that were like, what's his deal? A lot of people, those people have come around. It's something we touched on even last week. So, if he's not playing, and you don't like the coach, I mean, people are losing it about like everybody should be fired. Get ownership out of here. Well, that's not going to happen. And uh, Elton Brand got the job almost exactly three years ago. So I don't know if he get like you said. Does he get reassigned? He was okay. He'll be reassigned. He was bumped up like eight months later. Um, You know what they should do is the new GM should say, "Hey, will you go take the Sacramento job and then trade me Bagley and De'Aaron Fox for Simmons or Embiid?" And then go. Let's let's get us out there and start. Because I did start trying to think of like what two for once would you do Embiid for Sabonis and Oladipo, and then run it back with Simmons. So you'd be. Simmons. I would
0: do. I would do Embiid for Sabonis and Oladipo before the other GM who called me finished the Poe in Oladipo. He was like, "Hey, do you want to do Sabonis for or Simmons for what Sabonis if, and Oladipo?" Yeah. Yes. Yes. I would. What now. if he was saying old and Polonies? Would you then regret yeah, it? Maybe I should wait till the end of the Silbo. Yeah. I was thinking like, I would even do Embiid for Wendell Carter and come uh, on come and marketing on. and their pick <laughs> Carter marketing their pick for Embiid. I would, I would call it into the league right now. I would do it.
1: Cause there is a part of me that if I'm from Philly and I love the Sixers and I'm watching this version of a team out there with arguably the worst backcourt of any team in the playoffs, you're going, Oh, wait a minute. Why? Like, If you guys all said Simmons is really good and everybody's kind of in on Simmons, now, we can back to the fundamental problems of what we think Embiid and Simmons are. We've been over those numbers. Yeah, we don't need to litigate that again. But we
0: do have to litigate this. As we know, agents can start controlling destinies if they decide they don't like a situation. Clutch is involved with Mr. Simmons. What if Clutch says this sucks? Kuzma, Caruso... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, what if they say this sucks? You got to trade him. He wants his own team. He wants to go to New Orleans and play with Zion. He wants to go to Phoenix and play with Devin Booker. He wants to play with LeBron. He wants to play with LeBron and Davis. Well, they don't have anything to trade. We don't care. Make it happen. We've seen agents do this. Simmons is under this long contract. He has no leverage at all. But who knows? So I I personally think that Embiid will be the move, whether they make it this, this offseason or a year from now. But I think that has to be the move because you can't run. You're going to lose three years here with, the, with these five guys or four guys, I guess. You've no So are, are we on the same?
1: But it's a really great reminder of all the times you're like, ah, this is the thing that's probably going to happen. You go, beware of the unexpected pissed off player that has the juice to pull it off. Beware. The grenade. It's, it's a the, great.
0: The, the agent grenade where it's like, oh, oh, wait, you're, oh, so this is done. You're breaking up with me. Yeah. But I'm no, still it's great paying point. you. It's a great point. It's a great I'm point. Still I'm still paying you. No, no. We're we're done. we you have to trade us now. The rules he's used to be only with a year left. Yeah, we changed him. <laughs> Wait. Oh no. He's doing he's doing an interview with Rachel Nichols about how unhappy he is. Fuck. Oh God, we gotta trade him. Oh, my Why God. is no, Rachel no. Nichols in the building? My name is Rachel Nichols. I'm here with Ben Simmons. She said she was doing a sit-down with Raul Neto on his on his on his upbringing. What what she happened? Double crossed us. Yeah. Uh, I'm here with Ben Simmons. Ben, it's been a trying five years for you. <laughs> Why do you need a change of scenery so badly? <laughs> well, you know, Rachel, I just want to play basketball and be happy. Why is
1: he a I just want to be happy. What, what's
0: going on right now with your Ben Simmons? I'm, be, I'm basically Bill Simmons as Ben Simmons. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, I just want to be happy, Rachel. Um, you know, I just think everybody needs a change of scenery. We had a great run in Philly. Pause. Nobody mentioned something. You never got out of round two. It wasn't really that great. Um, but you know, I, I think it's maybe time to move on. And then what does Philly do? If he says that, I just want to do a Rachel follow-up like, okay, how,
1: how great of investment is Los Angeles real estate right now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> just out, out of nowhere <laughs> to bits of it's He's pro- he's probably on Redfin right now, looking at different neighborhoods, trying to figure out where he's going to live. It's like, oh, Calabasas. A lot of property, big backyards, a lot of space. It could fit a lot of friends here. Um, I think they should shop Embiid. I don't think they will. I think they will talk themselves into, we can make this work for one year. Here's the case for Embiid to shop. Um, He's had major injuries. He doesn't seem to fully value being in incredible shape. Doesn't seem to understand it yet. The risk is, (laughs) well, the risk is he figures it out. And has this awesome year where he just runs through the league, like a, like a knife going through butter. And you're like, Oh my God, we traded this guy. He's the best player in the league. I just think you are who you are by your mid twenties. And he's in his mid twenties. I I just think this is who he is. And I really like him. I wish he wasn't like this. I really enjoy watching him play basketball, but I was never concerned about him. And then they're going like, Oh, you got to feed him bead more in this Boston series. I'm like, great. Guess what? Everyone else is going to stand around. As he takes ten seconds deciding what to do, and probably ends up with like a fifteen footer, when he's seven foot three, I just don't think he gets it. I really. He don't. has
1: he has way too many possessions where he doesn't. As great as he is at passing out of doubles at times, and by the way, the Marcus Smart steal in Game Three, I was watching. I forget that was uh, awesome. All the highlights that I saw, like somebody was saying, "Oh, Embiid should want that, or you can't make that pass." You like, do you understand what Marcus Smart just yeah, did? How amazing he, that was! He made himself invisible behind a guy and then jumped out like a defensive back on like a screen pass where you're like, what the hell's that guy doing over yeah, there? Yeah, he looked like Stefan Gilmore. It didn't even make any sense. It didn't look like a basketball player doing a basketball thing. All right. But your summary of it, despite how long this took, is that I I think it's the accurate one that you can talk yourself into feeling bad and yet not wondering if a guy gets it all at the same time. And that's that's where you're at with him.
0: Well, have you? you don't have to name the couple, but I'm sure you've had a couple in your life that was a volatile couple broke up a lot, um, broke up with each other, got back together. All their friends hated, hated them when they were together. And you're just like, (laughs) man, I wish they would break up. And then they go to you and like, Hey, good news. We're having a kid. This'll make it better. We're going to bring a kid into this. The kid, the kid will (laughs) bond us. It'll be great. And you're, and you're thinking like, ah, that's going to make it worse. Don't do that. Um, to me, The Sixers are at the point now where if the hiring the new coach and the new GM and being like, we're changing stuff is is the equivalent of we're having a kid. It's going to be great. Would you do Lou Dort and
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just, I want to do more of these, but I know they're all stupid because I really, if I had to bet a lot of money on it, I would go, whoever the new coach is, he's going to say he has it completely figured out. And it's going to be a coach of some stature, I would imagine, a little juice. And poor Brett Brown looked like he had, like, every, every year as it got worse, you would look at him, and he looked like your buddy who woke up the next day after the golf trip going, that one got away from me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where were you? We had breakfast this morning. You weren't in your room.
1: Yeah. What are you uh, about? It's two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, how about when he called the timeout down seven with six and a half seconds left? That was a real, I, that I don't know like, who that was a fuck you for, but it was the possibilities where the referee, Joel Was Embiid. it the challenge?
1: Was it because Br- uh, Brad challenged the play at the end? Well, I don't know. He went one and eight against Brad in the playoffs. That was the final record. He may have also wanted to do kind of a PJ Fleck thing where he just decides, hey, everyone, we gave it our all. When they played his speech for him, I felt bad. To like Philadelphia, Boston, Andrew Tony, Mo Cheeks. Yeah, they the Terry camera.
0: Catledge. No. I loved that because I wanted the camera to pan back, and Embiid is is on some website trying to f- trying to figure out if they get back to dinner in time if to get back to Philly in time. Could he have dinner at like ten o'clock? Embiid was gone. Yeah. Did you feel like that? I felt like he was gone after after the first half of Game Three when he got tired and he was like, oh man, we're not winning this." Um, can we talk about the Celtics really quick? And imagine I mean really we,
1: quick? Yeah, I imagine we would.
0: So, Hayward goes down. Looks looks a little... It's like, fuck, that's going to be bad for the Toronto series. It's not going to matter for this early series. But at least some other guys will be able to get some minutes. The big thing that happened the last three games was Kemba. And Kemba looked like the Kemba from the first two months of the season. I did not think we were going to see that version of him again. I was really, really, really discouraged and pessimistic about his ceiling. And by the end of this series, I thought he looked like Kemba again. And now I, I, I'm revising my, uh, my Celtics ceiling. I, th- I do think they have a chance. Against Toronto? I just think they have a chance now because I, I think Kemba... chance
1: to what? Get out of the East? What are we talking about?
0: Yeah, to to win any series. I didn't think they could beat Toronto if Kemba was compromised or seventy-five percent, something like that. But if he's if he can go and he can play at that level, they have a chance. I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not uh, you know, creating a new formula for success or anything, but I, I just I was pessimistic until these last 48 hours. I like the
1: Celtics against, against Toronto with with Hayward. Because they could put all these bigger guys on their guards, or they at least had a big guy still with Siakam. They would put a bigger player on Lowry. I think they would put in the most recent game, they had Kemba on uh, Van Vliet, who is just as dangerous as kind of any of these guys. Because when you start to look at like some of the Siakam numbers, they've declined, but they've declined yes. because of shots. Like they were, they were absurd at the beginning of the year, and they had like a bad shooting month, which everybody has. But he's still really tough once he gets that deep catch. But when you look at his actual shot attempts, they've gone down because other guys are just as good. Norman Powell might be the most surprising sixteen point a game guy for a season. Like if you scroll the entire points per game leaders and you go,
0: Norman Powell gets sixteen a game, and then when you watch him, you go, you know what, this makes sense. It's like the nineteen eighties where you go through the old the rosters and there's guys like, wow, that guy averaged seventeen a game that year. What? Yeah, that's a yeah. It's exactly because. So like now, Bob and McAdoo on the 82 Lakers? He was oh, 19 yeah. a game? What? McAdoo. McAdoo yeah.
1: crushed it back then. But Siakam only played in two of the regular season games. And I think Gasol's kind of unplayable against the Celtics. But no Hayward. And then I don't know how dated this will be once it comes out. But Lowry left the game, the clinching game against Brooklyn with an ankle injury. So we'll see what that is. I mean, Lowry not being around, although I don't know that it's that significant. They were up big and not a big deal. But...
0: My dad wanted us to talk about that the Hayward loss is actually more important than people realize because of the ball just moves better when he's out there, regardless of whether he's shooting that well, he's so unselfish and to just replace that with this hodgepodge of the semi-osually types, like you do feel it. There was a lot of one-on-one stuff the last three games. It didn't matter because Philly was so atrocious defensively and had such bad schemes. But it's going to matter against Toronto. The one-on-one stuff, they'll be able to slow down. Yeah, I think Toronto's going to go
1: small. Gasol looked pretty bad in that matchup there. It's a much better matchup for Tice. But you know what's crazy? Watching Tice against Embiid. It's not ideal, obviously. And if the other team's not going to expose Canner with high-screen rolls because they don't like their guards... Even though Philadelphia did try to do it twice at the beginning of the fourth quarters of like, hey, wait a minute. Doesn't everybody attack Canner? Like, we can try that, right? And then they did it for two plays. They actually got one decent shot missed and the other shot wasn't very good. Tice is a better defensive player than Joel Embiid.
0: We certainly tries harder.
1: You're not all the way with me on that. I know this is. Well, be... I think
0: there's there's really good stat defensive metrics for Embiid when he's engaged. I I would say oh, he well. was uning he was unengaged in this series. Yeah, but at least with Tice. But Tice is a better matchup in the
1: Toronto thing. But your Hayward point, your dad's Hayward point is spot on because even with the version of Hayward that's still probably generally disappointing, him as your fourth option, <laughs> Yeah, that's an insane fourth option. Somebody and who right. knows how to
0: play basketball yeah. and knows how to switch and knows how to make extra passes and knows how to run a three-on-one and all little things that, you know, the out of all the guys from the last couple drafts, which have not been great, uh, Grant Williams was the only one that kind of looked like he knew where to go and what to do. And he made a couple of good plays in game two and game three, and at least seems like he's playable. And I think they're going to need him for this next round. But I, this is one of the reasons I love them against Philly. Remember you asked me if I was worried about Philly and I was like, no, um, Toronto worries me for a variety of reasons. But one is that it, it's crazy to say this because he was, a nobody two years ago, but like Van Vliet is an awful matchup for the Celtics team. He's the type of guy that they have a ton of trouble defending. Even Marcus, who I think is a wonderful, fantastic defender. Even he has trouble against the Van Vliet guys and they don't, it puts a lot of pressure on Kemba. And my big favorite with this Kemba Boston thing is just, I want Kemba to be healthy. I want him to keep his explosiveness. You saw how much they needed him in those three games. And if they're putting a huge defensive workload on him against Lowry and Van Vliet, I'm worried that he's going to wear down the longer the series goes. Now, Boston got a huge rest here. Toronto's going to get rest too. I don't know if they're going to speed up the start of the series, but uh, the Kemba thing is that's the ce- that determines the floor of the ceiling for this Celtics building, whether it's a 10-floor building or a seven-floor building, whatever it is, like it all comes down to Kemba. And if Hayward can come back by the conference finals, great. But um, I worry about the Kemba piece. And there's, by the way, going to be a lot of Wanamaker in this next series, which worries worries me too for a variety of reasons.
1: Maybe Brett Brown called the timeout because he couldn't believe that Brad Stevens was trying to show him up by playing Grant Williams, Romeo Langford, and Brad Wanamaker at the same time. I, I couldn't believe that group was in there. And by the way, the Sixers didn't make up any ground whatsoever. Van Vliet is someone who went from three points a game and barely playing, not even half the season, 8 points a game, 11 points a game, and now he's 17 points a game and 39% from three, although he doesn't shoot it great inside or at least overall. But he's fucking crafty. The crafty dudes. He's so – like the Kemba point is a good one because it did look like Kemba closing shots. Like those – what he did to Horford is obviously it's against Horford, but he made some guys miss. Like it looked like UConn Kemba again. And I did not know when he comes back four-month bubble and – you're like, wait, he's still not ready to go? Like, what the hell? And so credit to the Celtics because they actually look like they handled this the right way because it looks like it's gonna at least last for this year. But Van Vliet is he is kind of Shamit face Kawhi. When you look at his development, <laughs> you like yeah. that? Shamit yeah. face Kawhi because Kawhi was, oh, all right, you know, who's this guy? Not scoring. Um, these, there's there's just a bunch of players now that not like Van Vliet's some star star. But his production in four straight years is is off the charts, and no one would have picked this his first year.
0: Well, let's say Boston beats Toronto. Toronto gets sent packing. What happens to that team? I think that's a storyline that I hadn't really thought about, and then I was thinking about, you know, that Lowry they extended for one more year, but I think Gasol and Ibaka are free agents, right?
1: extended so what do we got we got Lowry one more year who they extended before Gasol's up yeah. Baca's up Van Vliet is um he's up but it's it's not even restricted is he no he's just going to get paid
0: right so what do you yeah. do if you're them because you could make a case you won the title you went on on Kawhi and it worked you defended the title this year in a really good way let's say Boston beats them, now it's like, well, what are we going to do? We're, we're trying to protect this round two team, basically. Like, you're not paying Gasol and Ibaka again. Could you make a case that they could actually, like, try to rebuild after this? You know, like, could, like, see Ockham. People are, th- I, I think Golden State's going to end up trading that number two pick, right? Mm-hmm. I think they moved that pick try to get a veteran. Golden State calls you and says, hey, what's happening? It's Golden State. Um, what are your thoughts about Wiggins The number two pick in our Minnesota pick For Siakam Bring
1: Wiggins, Wiggins is home Wiggins from Canada Yeah he's from Canada
0: He's from Canada He's a hometown kid You've they already hang won up the title
1: They would hang up on you so fast Just because you, you won so? the title Yeah just because you won the title Doesn't mean you go Hey you guys want to take this year off Like I don't even want to scout the, Any of the southern teams Yeah me neither We won the title
0: They hang up
1: <laughs> okay they're gonna by the way that's not even no you think way. they hang, you think toronto hangs
0: up on Golden state you can't
1: trade siakam for a number two pick in this draft you can't i uh, real quick i think with nurse being this good maybe they flip lowry with the one year and 30 remaining to somebody pay van vliet i wouldn't mind paying abaca again i'm back all in on abaca especially okay. with the way he's i think i 30. agree with you i just wanted to talk it out give me your other trade that i i feel like you're more embarrassed to share with me now for who I thought you had another Toronto trade. Somebody else was going to call.
0: No, that was really it. I was trying to figure out if they rebuilt, like, cause I do think Masai is one of those GMs where he could look at the Siakam thing and be like, all right, this guy's really good. He's not that good. There's actually like, we'd be trading this guy for full price. Could it, do I think he could be like the number one guy in a championship team? No, I still don't have a number one guy. Maybe this is a way to rebuild and whatever. But I could also see what you described. They just bring everybody back. They keep it going and they try to figure out how to work around the margins. But I think it gets tough when I, the Lowry contract is really scary. I think there's nothing scarier than how old is he now? Like 32, 33. I can't believe he doesn't get hurt more
1: often considering his, he's on the ground. the entire He's in the game.
0: 2006 draft. He's 34. Yeah. So it's not not like, right. But I think next year would probably be the last year you'd want to be paying him over 20 million a year. And then Van Vliet, I don't, I mean, two years from now, he might be the best player in the league for all we know. (laughs) The the rate that he improves each year, he might be Allen Iverson in two years. I, I also don't think that it's a product, whatever
1: their off season is, it isn't oh, we lost to Boston in seven games. Oh, we beat Boston in six games. So now let's keep this group together because I I just don't think smart front offices make those decisions. I
0: only mention it because I think had they not won the title last year, I think they probably would have blown this team up. You don't think so? I think part of the reason they kept this team together was because they smartly and respectfully um, believed in defending a title. Keeping a nucleus together, and they were smart, and now they have a chance to win another title. But all of us were so
1: wrong on it, and I, you know, I was, I was incredibly when they did the extension on Lowry, I thought it was to be able to make him more valuable in a trade before this year's deadline, instead of I think it was. losing him to as in free agency. And but I think that's why they did it. We don't expect Siakam to improve that much. He did. OG and Anobi, who I think any of us that saw him healthy, he goes, yeah, maybe he has a chance, but I really like him. Abaka, to me, has had this resurgence that showed up last year in the playoffs in certain spots, especially against Golden State. Van Vliet, the level he's at, that's another one. And then every single rotation guy, you're like, oh, Terrence Davis is going to get his buckets. Oh, like Caruso's skinny, taller, older brother is going to get buckets, too. Uh, There's just all of these guys that you don't hate. And that's, you know, I haven't even mentioned Norman again since that whole thing. So, I was wrong about this team, but I also don't think you're going to make mistakes by losing the top player in the league after you win a title and going, I don't expect as much from this team. And they filled in all those gaps, but we'll really know that they've replaced Kawhi, depending on who the, who's their bucket getter in those huge spots, because there's no one on that team that's that guy. So, you know, sometimes when I hear, oh, the least could be Maple Jordan maple jordan next year but you know even mark jones is from canada on the broadcast because hey toronto's the most disrespected champion ever and you go okay but it's it's very
0: simple yeah they lost it, the, the best guy in the league that's it that's all it is yeah it sorry we disrespecting that. a team that doesn't have its best player anymore yeah one of the three at worst and maybe as you said there the was most some consistent- weird announcer i thought there was some weird announcer stuff the last week like oh, doors, oh, week and is... Mark Jones praising Philly for trying hard. It's like it's the fucking playoffs. You're supposed to try hard. Oh uh, look at look at this team. They've really, there's no quit in this team. It's like well, we've seen a lot of quit actually the last couple last couple games. Um, and they would roll over at the first chance. I don't know. I I thought I think the announcing's been strange.
1: Mark Jackson had one where he goes, "If I'm Kawhi, I'm telling coach I got Luca here on out," and I. I'm not 100% sure because I certainly wasn't in the building because who was it? Um, <laughs> it was Paul McGuire, I think, was the biggest culprit on Sunday night football. Oh, he was terrible. He would, he would see the ref that throws the flag in a football game, goes to the lead official, and will be like, hey, offsides, whatever. And then it's the oldest trick in the announcing booth where you see what the ref did to tell the lead who's going to announce it. And you'd like, I think they got a hold on 57 here. I think I think, yeah. I think I saw him holding. You're like, you already know that it's a hold because we can't see that part on the camera angle. So Mark, when he goes, if I'm Kawhi Leonard, I tell my head coach, I have Luka the rest of the way. He's mine. And That was good Van- Mark Jackson. I know, I got it down. And Van Gundy was like, yeah, I think you can see Luka. So I think he gave it away a little bit. That he was basically saying, like, Luca was pointing to Doc Rivers as Mark was like, if I'm Kawhi Leonard. And so I was right. like, you know, it felt a little bit like that. Or maybe
0: Mark Jackson absolutely nailed it. Who knows? I like what Mark Jackson does. The, um, like, people don't talk enough about how buff Ryan Rosillo is. Like, when he makes it <laughs> seem like he's discovering something that everybody has already acknowledged years ago. You know, people don't talk about what a creator Kawhi Leonard is. It's like, no, we actually do. We we talked about it last that year. That one doesn't make any. He did it
1: with Melo. He He'll do d- he it with it some weird ones where you be like people over the years knocking Melo's commitment to defense. Challenge accepted. You're like,
0: eh, yeah, he was uh, <laughs> an atrocious
1: defensive player <laughs> for years on end. That's that's why we questioned I, it. I had a tweet because he had he had one where it was it was so obvious and I was going to tweet it but I wasn't going to sign it by anybody and it was going to be like of all the great friends in the history of television Rachel, Ross, Monica, Phoebe and Chandler Bing are at the top. <laughs> just and just let people guess who it was. <laughs> uh, no, I can't do it. It's played out. I left Joey out, I think. Sorry.
0: Anyway, but Boston, Toronto is going to be awesome. I'm really excited for round two because we also have Miami and Milwaukee, which I want to talk about one second. Let's take a break. Let's take a break to talk about FanDuel Sportsbook for the NBA playoffs, where the offer for all new customers is still running. 20 to one odds, plus 2,000 on any team in the playoffs to make the NBA finals. Doesn't matter if it's the Bucks, Lakers, Nets, plus 2,000 on everyone. They don't even have to win. Don't miss out before it's too late. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started and be sure to sign up with promo code BS so they know I sent you. And again, our Ultimate Hoops Ringer Contest is going. If you want to play fantasy basketball every day on FanDuel, new contest every day for every slate of playoff games, day after day, $5 entry fee per contest. And if you win, if you win your day, you get a ticket to the leaderboard series during the NBA finals, where all the winners will compete for a share of 50K cash, Ringer swag and to be deemed the sole survivor, of the ultimate hoops ringer still time to enter contest. Every day is a new day. What are you waiting for? Learn more and enter at fanduel.com slash hoops ringer age and location restrictions apply. And for the sportsbook stuff, you must be 21 plus present in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Colorado, West Virginia, Indiana, new year's is only must wager on designated boost market max bonus, $200. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Colorado, 800-522-4700. West Virginia, 1800-gamber.net. Indiana, 800-9-with-it. So our round two could look like this. Boston, Toronto, Miami, Milwaukee, Lakers, Houston, and then Utah versus Clippers, Dallas. Which would probably be more fun if Luca somehow shocked the world and made round two, and then we just got to ride the uh, the Luca train. But either way, that's probably the weak series unless Luca's in there. Which which one of those three are you the most excited about? Boston, Toronto, Miami, Milwaukee, or Lakers, Houston? Because I feel like I'm going to hate watch the Lakers, Houston series. <laughs> and, and it's basically like a, a battle of of, bas- of basketball soul, Houston. All due respect, you're doing it the right way. If you can win playoff games with James Harden and a bunch of cast offs, much like Dallas is doing, like you're you're doing something correctly. But now they'd be going against the Lakers where they would basically be saying, um, All right, Davis, we're going to give you, we're going to spot you 42 points a night and probably 18 rebounds. And LeBron, um, you're probably going to have a 35, 15, and 12 every night, but we're going to shoot 63s. Good luck. That's how it's going to play out. And if I'm the Lakers, I'm terrified because I have two of the best three players of the series. I traded the farm to get Davis. I'm on my way to this Clipper series, but now I have this weird Houston team. That's basically like, if you're in a football, if you're in the NFL playoffs and you're going, to the team that's running like the fucking wishbone. And you're like, what is this? I know we're better than this team, but Jesus Christ, what, what do we do? So. I would say that series has the highest WTF upside. Um, I think Boston Toronto is the best pure series. And I think Miami Milwaukee is the best chance for an upset. Yeah. The best series
1: is probably Toronto and Boston. And I think without Hayward, I'm picking Toronto. I'm not hundred percent sure though. I'm not, I'm not all the way. I'm there like yet, 60, 40
0: I'm, Toronto for me. I'm
1: trying to not put too much in the regular season. As I mentioned again, before Siakam missing the two, two of the four games. So what do you do with that? Um, as we've mentioned numerous times, and I feel like I'm doing everybody a favor. Like, I'm admitting my bias here. When Jeff Green is reigning threes in game three and Chris Paul is about to be eliminated, while Chris Paul really was on the bench and Dennis Schroeder decided to go Atlanta's Dennis Schroeder and was screwing up almost every single possession. And game great. two was so frustrating because you're watching Oklahoma City. And again, I say frustrating not as a Thunder fan, but we all know where I'm at with this. Uh, when Houston is just cooking, it, it has to. it's really... It's one of the most helpless feelings going against Houston when it's just working on it. Even when, like, every single Harden shot, you're like, that's going to go in. That's going to go in.
0: Harden's and amazing. It's just,
1: it's just, and it works, okay? So the whole premise of it works, and the small thing we've been over, I've talked about all the rebounding rate stuff, but if the Lakers get Houston, and I don't know if Oklahoma City's uncovered something there with getting Adams out, because the weird thing about Game 3 is... Playing Gallo
0: re- at center, we were waiting for it. Yeah, and the rebounding
1: rate was actually Houston was up in the rebounding advantage in that game. And you're like, well, Adams is going to turn up. Like Adams sometimes will get a look at the bucket real close and he kicks it back out to somebody else. And you go, no, this is the, this is the series where you're supposed to make these guys pay a little bit. This is supposed to be like the running game where you, you get some of these touches to try to wear them down in the inside and it didn't matter. And then Oklahoma city completely fell apart with no secondary cuts. There was no action. And now you're telling me like Shea and Schroeder and Chris Paul can't make something happen. And then it all sort of magically happened there.
0: I thought they figured out, they figured out their identity as that game went along. And And I do think that's going to go seven. That series
1: Dort. This is enormous, because now that the refs know that Dort is this guy defensively, he's not going to get called for Sorry.
0: shit that other guys get. His arms are... I mean, that's the dude in pickup where you're like, oh, fuck, I hope that dude doesn't guard me. Where, oh, where it's no. like, get Oh, get, I got Dort on me. Fuck. <laughs> get who gets oh. you, and you walk all the way away from Dort. <laughs> you're like, Dort.
1: You're like, in <laughs> your man. car still.
0: He's like the guy in pickup. He's got bad BO. He's just all over you. You're like, fuck. He has to hold five
1: dollars. <laughs> <laughs> can, uh, can I do a quick Lou, Lou Dort thing? Because, well,
0: I mean, he's one of the breakout
1: stars of the bubble for me. All right, I have a, I have an NBA theory for you. Say ratings. Say if in ten years, the NBA has some issues. Whole new style of league. Just Lou Dort. No, <laughs> thirty teams, and you can keep four players. But then the rest, no, or you can keep five, all right? So let's just put it that way. 150, you can keep your five starters. But then the other 300 players are NBA mercenaries. And Uh, that means you can- Like Jeff Jeff Green. Green, Pretty much, yeah, Jeff Green. Except that means Lou Dort's never assigned to a team. It just means somebody calls and goes, hey, it's the Trailblazers. We got Harden this week. We're going to pay you you $1 million (laughs) to show up on Thursday.
0: I like it. What so would Lou Dort get NBA Like Lawrence mercenary. Fishburne and John Wick or something. This is an actual text exchange. Me and my dad, Thursday, 2.43 p.m. My oh, dad no. texts me. He must be so
1: upset about Lou Dort.
0: My dad texts me. I know it's Jeff Green, but we could have used him off our bench. <laughs> so I now I'm him worried back. about him. Tell Tell him I'm actually worried about him now. I texted him back. Stop it. He texted me back. Everyone deserves a third chance. <laughs> I texted him back. He was your least favorite Celtic of the last 10 years. You're going to want Al Nabi back next. And he said, true, forget I brought it up. Like the way Houston uses him. They pull him if he sucks. He just made three threes. Jeff Green winning over my dad as a playoff guy is my new most shocking moment of 2020. It's replaced all the other crazy things that happened, including a global pandemic. Jeff Green on the Rockets? Anyone on the Rockets? If Ben McLemore is now a
1: problem, at least right. in social media terms. If Ben McLemore can become a problem, anyone that goes to the Rockets is like any dude in his 20s having a personal stylist that lives with him. It just it just increases your whole efficiency. Oh, I like what you your, did there. Your output, you're a different person in that system. And that's why I always think it's kind of funny. Like say they lose, say the Rockets blow the series, Dantoni's out. I think there'd be some really weird stuff that could possibly happen with that team because I also think D'Antoni could be a person of interest with a lot of other teams because I just like like
0: like the New Orleans Pelicans,
1: maybe the Sixers, like the Pelicans of New Orleans. Were you trying to say you know something like the New Orleans Pelicans? Sounds like you're trying to say you know something. All right, well,
0: I just think he goes to where he goes to where the the pace and the point guard is. He's learned that from his Knicks experience. He took the Knicks job without having the type of team that. Now he knows if I'm going to a new team, I'm going to a team that has a guy that can do what I like to do. Cause I don't know if we're
1: going to do some of our trade stuff a little bit later on, which is all I want to do it right now. All right. But it's, I I would just be so interested to see what the rockets would run. Cause would harden, harden doesn't want to not run this. And what if, what if they were like, Hey, we're going to actually, we're going to be posting up Dwayne Dedman and then run no, it around. The thing him. is,
0: if you have somebody as special as Harden or as special as Luca, this is the style you have to play. You just have to go get shooters for them. What are you, you going to have post up guys for? What do you want guys clogging the paint? You yeah, but then spread why does Golden out.
1: State do? Why doesn't Golden State do this? Because they have two guys. Maybe they will. No.
0: Thing what is, mean, Golden though? State
1: keeps Golden State keeps moving. That's the difference. That's what the, some of the stuff that drives me nuts on these these five out. Offensive formations where.
0: Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, they try to get action out of it while they're playing that stuff. I know that's a shocking
1: concept, but like when you're not in the play, the guy moves, right, (laughs) to maybe be an option. And Dallas will do it on some cuts. I think Dallas does does it. it,
0: Dallas does it more than Houston does it.
1: Russ off the ball will cut. Um, I I don't know that stuff. I got to say, as far as the numbers, but
0: I liked when OKC had Gallo at center. And they just basically did the Luca Harden spread the floor thing. But if I was, um, Houston, I'm like, Oh fuck. They figured this out. Cause if I'm Houston, I'm like, great. You're playing Adams. Awesome. This is, this is great for us. Please keep doing this. But now the Gallo at center and Gallo looks like he's half confused in this series. Kind of like, what the fuck is <laughs> what's going on? What sport am I playing? Um, but at the same time, like to be down two one, When I mean they were like ten to one underdogs after the when they went down to nothing, and I keep hearing Westbrook's not as close to coming back as I think people seem to think. What I don't know if you've heard on that.
1: Well, it's Russell Westbrook who I would think would play with anything, and if it was just his quad, I expected it to be. And this wasn't based on any information, but you're like, oh, it's Westbrook. All right, he's just. I mean.
0: It's like when KG got hurt in 09. Not to say it's the same injury, but no. the longer the KG thing dragged on, you're going, well, this doesn't, this doesn't feel right. This guy's like the all time warrior. So the Westbrook thing, I don't know. I've I think the longer he sits, the more OKC is going to figure out what to do. And your guy, Chris Paul, I know you're rooting for him. There was a moment there where it's like, all right, Chris, this we're gonna be adding this to your resume of of terrible playoff series. Um, that turned out badly for some reason. And then he kind of started looking like Chris Paul a little bit. It was like Schroeder inspired him. Schroeder was great. Well, Schroeder, I'm
1: telling you, Schroeder in the end of that third quarter, it was it was bad. It, and Chris was watching that part. But I, I was more frustrated with Chris Paul in game two than I even was in game Very three. Very passive. Game yeah. two. It was a Wait a minute. Like you're Chris Paul. You're the guy that's supposed to unlock this and figure something out. Like how could you guys have this many bad possessions in a row? And then once Paul starts hitting all those threes, I was like, "Hey, there's my guy. There he is again." Let's do um let's do trades.
0: Okay. So you want to start? Well, I I think uh what do you do if you're Indiana is a good question because I really do like their team and I thought Sabonis was one of the best 20 players in the league this year. Wow. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I didn't thought of it that way. But Or maybe 25. He's definitely an all-star. I haven't done my list today. I I thought he was a real problem, and uh,
1: he's just built different.
0: Turner thing. I don't know who'd you rather have out there for 40 minutes a game: Sabonis or Turner? Like, there's no way that's not a massive drop-off. So I don't know if Indiana should be a panic team. At the same time, Old Depot's got a year left at 21 million. I don't I can't imagine he's gonna stay there a year from now, especially because it kinda feels more like you know, the Brogdon Old Depot thing. I, I, I'm not sure you need both anyway. And it just seems like he's a natural trade piece. And I honestly, trying to figure out how to get Holiday
1: to Holiday, the kid they drafted, I like. I like him too. I, I gotta tell you, I wasn't as big on him at UCLA and watching him more and more, there's something there. You know, I don't yeah. I don't know what the ceiling is, but I went from sort of disinterest to oh, I kinda like that kid now.
0: So I feel like he gets traded. Is he on the Pacers next year? Yes or no? Oladipo? Yeah. I'm going to say no because they've paid Brogdon.
1: And not that you don't, you can only they pay one. They paid Sabonis. Paid Sabonis. I got to tell you, like I know I don't have. Like here's here's what I do. And I'm pretty sure most people that, and we're not reporters, but you talk to enough people and you go, hey, you know, who's, uh, what do you think might be willing to shake some things up? Hey, give me some names that you hear that could be available. And we're going to get to some of those names cuz you and I double checked the list and all that kind of stuff. But the Pacers thing feels like it go it could go in a bunch of different directions. That's it. That's 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 as comfortable as I feel like talking about it right now at this point, but it
0: it just seems to be all over the place. Well, who would you keep? Cuz I like I really like their team and I actually think Miami is just really good. And it was a bad matchup for them without Sabonis because I think Sabonis would have been um, a, a real problem for Miami.
1: Because uh, I, I think Miles Turner somebody that you like from afar. And then if you have him every night, you go, oh.
0: You kind of ruined him for me. I kind of, I liked him more than you. And then you, you were, you were kind of peed on him a little. And then now when I watch him, I watch him through that tainted lens. Sorry. <laughs> you should be thanking See, me. <laughs> he takes, he takes some shots. You're like, Why? Do you know they'll make a three th- every once in a while and you're like, "Oh."
1: When they were making a run in the last Miami game, they ran a timeout at like an out of timeout, they ran a three for him. And I was like, "Wow." And I just I didn't know if that's one of those deals with the coach where it doesn't seem to make a ton of sense, but it's like I hopefully like I get him going and I want him to know like these other things that we never really think about from the outside where we ran that for you because I trust you and, you know, be energized and we don't even care yeah. that it didn't go in and all that kind of stuff. Um,
0: So that's one team. That's one of the well, teams. Well, th- the reason I think Oladipo is an important conversation. Because I think he gets you something. I think he gets you something. And I think there's going to be some teams that are pretty aggressive. Like, I guarantee both of us think Brooklyn is going to be doing stuff. And Brooklyn's got tradable contracts. They have the Joe Harris thing they got to figure out. But, you know, they're going to try to figure out who that third fit is. I don't think either of us You had to to tell them your Levert overrated, underrated thing.
1: Okay. This happens in life all the time, but Karis Levert, when you watch him in college, you're like, whoa. And so when they drafted him, I'm like, you know what? I really like that pick. It makes sense. And then he comes along and you're like, this is pretty incredible. And then he gets hurt. We're all kind of bummed out and then ends up not being that bad of an injury. And Karis Levert has become this really nice story because he's drafting behind all these other stories. And then the more you watch Karis LeVert, you go as talented as he is, him taking a bad shot, not making it against Portland in that final game in the bubble, that was like one of the least surprising things. I think he's – this is unbelievable that Brooklyn has had this run of high usage kind of – I'm going to really do my own thing here where D'Angelo Russell actually got better with them but was, was piggish there for a while. And then You never Dinwiddie, felt like
0: it was going in at the end.
1: And then Dinwiddie, you're like, you know who I like is this Dinwiddie guy a little bit. He's got something. And you could even see Atkinson, I think, trusted Dinwiddie more than Russell at some point. And then you, the more you started watching Dinwiddie, you're like, is Dinwiddie now another version of Russell? And then Kyrie comes in, and Kyrie puts up these massive numbers, but you're like, is this in the flow of anything? And then once Kyrie was out, it was like, Dinwiddie's like, I'm back. And now that Dinwiddie's gone, Karis LeVert's like, all of you guys can fuck off, because now it's my team. And so, yes, he's talented. Yes, I like the story. But if you let Karis LeVert probably have the keys to your car, it's a little early.
0: So I remember way back when, when I, I used to be a writer. I don't know if you knew this. I have a great,
1: Um, I actually was going to pitch you a writing idea. NBA mercenaries. I had,
0: um. To get you back in the scene. I did a whole riff about David West. I had him as an overrated, underrated guy where the announcers were saying how underrated he was for like two years. (laughs) And he weirdly (laughs) became overrated because it's like, all right, he's 17 and eight Settle down. But for two years where you know, who's great is this David West and. And then there's always guys like that. And I do wonder if Karis LeVert maybe is our next
1: guy. We all like, everyone's like
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kara. But anyway, I think he's probably a trade candidate. Dinwiddie at $10 million, who's kind of a loose cannon. Jared Allen, because DeAndre is Kawhi and, uh, I mean, uh, Kyrie and Katie's buddy. So I was wondering if there was some sort of Oladipo thingy in there. And then... Dinwiddie's um, a player
1: option, so... Remember he was doing the thing where he was like, oh, If you guys yeah. just, if you guys venmo me, I'll go anywhere for the minimum, which right. immediately like everybody was like, That's a cap violation. The
0: uh, the most interesting guy to me who's who's I think out there is Buddy Heald, whose contract kicks in next year at twenty four point four. I just like Buddy Heald. I, I think he was in a bad situation in Sacramento and and I I think he's the type of guy that I could see in a playoff series like the ones we're watching right now. Would you do Bagley
1: and, and Buddy Heald and Embiid?
0: I'd probably have to get their pick two and something else. Isn't Bag- Bagley hasn't been able to stay on the court, though. Not at all, but I know you like him. I need multiple firsts for him. I don't know, man. We're we're just shopping and beat around anywhere. <laughs> I just I mean, like throwing them at you from time to time, man. Well, I, I, the thing is, if you get Embiid, and then you know he's like, I'm mad I got traded. I'm getting in shape this year. The whole league's gonna be like, oh fuck. I mean, trust me, the league likes the way it is right now. Um, so yeah, Indiana. I think Denver's another one. We're we're taping this in order, so it's seven o'clock PT. We don't know this Denver Utah game's playing out, but if this Denver series ends badly or or something happens. They have a lot of pieces, right? Because they have the Harris contract, that's is one way. 18 million. It. Um, they have Porter. They have uh Will Bartons at 13 million. They even have the Jamal Murray card to play. So it's like if you really wanted to put a full fledged second star next to Jokic And you're trying to do that without giving up Murray. So you're trying to basically make Murray your third guy and you bring in a second star next to Murray and Jokic. They have the salaries and they have the Porter piece. And I do think Porter would have a lot of trade value. You agree? Oh, he'd have a ton. Are you kidding me? His, look, we've been over the defensive lapses,
1: but every time you watch a Michael Porter Jr. game, his shot-making ability, he would be the guy as an Olympic diver that would go, I'm going to win because I'm going to take the most difficult attempts at this. I didn't think you were going to win in the Olympics today. Sorry that I gave it to you, but there's shots that he pulls up. There's just 90% of the league. You'd be like, don't take that shot. And he keeps making these where these pull-ups contested threes and his I don't know who the last announcer was because you lose track, but it wasn't a horrible comp. I'm not saying he's Durant, but Durant's impossible because the shot release, you're just not going to do anything with it. Garnett was impossible because the shot release, like it's
0: never going to be contested. I'm and trying to has think of, a the, little bit of that the athleticism around the rim and the stuff he's able to do when he's at weird angles. is pretty unusual. And I don't know who the uh, who the doppelgangers are for that. You know, who would that you rather alpha. have? Well,
1: I think it's a little McGrady-ish, but he doesn't have any of McGrady's playmaking ability. And he's probably more physical than McGrady is.
0: Well, the thing is, if you're Denver, you have this guy, Jokic, who is a, one of the, I think, eight or nine best players in the league. You don't really have the second piece with him. You don't know how long your window is with any of this stuff. And with Porter, like, the guy's coming off a major injury, small sample size, high high trade value, and it's like maybe you cash in and try to get a legit second star.
1: Okay, so let's... You have
0: the salaries with Porter to actually go and pursue a real guy, if you wanted to. I don't know who that real guy is, but...
1: um, Let's run through the exercise, because when you texted this assignment to me for Denver, and by the way, Jokic is getting destroyed, and Utah is playing... And I, you know, we're saying this before we know what's going to happen in Game 4, okay? But so far in this series, the games that Utah played in Game 2 and 3... Was almost perfect basketball. They're yeah. humiliating this team. Uh, the third quarter number, I'm a big third quarter guy, as everybody knows back in the NBA Today days, but Denver is getting outscored 109 to 68 in the third quarters. 109 to 68.
0: Well, Conley the third quarter back. hasn't happened in this, so I'm afraid to talk about it because they might okay. make us look bad. But All let's right, say, maybe, maybe. Let's say this series goes bad for Denver. They lose in five or six. Well, I
1: think at this point, at least everybody is cool enough that, yes, three games in. Gobert has what Gobert did to Jokic in game three. I didn't really expect to see that in there, mm-hmm. and Jokic has lost. And so if you look at the Harris hasn't played, Barton hasn't played, but Bogdanovich wasn't there. Conley missed the first two games, so you can't really make that excuse if you're Denver. So yes, you still have Jokic, who a little bit in the Aaron Rodgers part, where when it looks good, you're like, man, he's just so goofy, but it all works. And then when it doesn't work, you're like, this guy's just plodding around the whole time. Like when Aaron Rodgers and the team is doing great, you're like, look at him, steely, calm, never affected. When the when the Packers aren't doing well, like look how pissed off Rodgers is right now. You can just see it on his face, and it's the exact same guy the whole time. Would you rather have Murray or Oladipo?
0: I think I'd rather have Murray.
1: Yeah, probably, after the injury. Although I do think Oladipo, physically, the way he's moved around after the bubble has looked better. Agreed?
0: Can I? Yeah. Yeah, but I think uh, he looks better. He's, he's not where he was two years ago, even close. That no. just doesn't seem like he's the same guy. Not doesn't mean he won't happen next year, but I think the combo of not knowing if he would stay as a free agent and things like that, the guy I was thinking for them, Is Chris Paul, because, you know, I, I think there's, I think there's a different conversation along the lines of what we're talking about with some of these other teams. Like if OKC loses in round one, what do you do? You're not going to pay 135 million for this expensive team. When you have all these draft picks, the obvious move is to rebuild around Shea, start over. Why would you pay the tax? Denver could put together a package. I don't think they would have to put Porter in it. You know, you could do Harris. Well, Porter's a non-starter, I think at this point, like if you're con for, you're just for like a on. Chris Paul trade. Yeah. But you could huh. do like Harris, Barton and bull bull, something like that. And just be like, yeah, we're, we're going to save you eight, 9 million this year. We're getting the best part in the trade. We're taking on this giant Chris Paul contract. And it's basically a salary dump. If you're OKC. I'm just, any Denver conversation
1: that I would have with Denver if I'm the other team and I go, I got to pay $40 million for Gary Harris defensive matchup the next two years? No. And, you know, we Fair. had moments where we thought Gary Harris might be something and maybe it's still a little too early to give up on him, but it's a $40 million bill guaranteed the next two years for somebody who you like in your guard rotation. <laughs> Because he plays good defense. That's that's I insane. did like
0: him in the past. I just thought he was bad this season. He he became unplayable. So you're saying you think Denver is just better off riding the Porter thing, playing it by year, and they're they're probably not a title team anyway for the next year, but try to do the slow game and try to build around Jokic. Maybe there's a way to pick
1: Paul off if some of this ownership stuff gets really weird, and maybe the Thunder are one of those teams with whatever the cap is going to be, which is a whole nother discussion about some of these monster contracts. But I think it would all get scaled a little bit with the CBA anyway. Um, maybe that exists. I, maybe there's a pick package in there where you feel like, okay, we're getting a couple picks out of this, but there's not really one player. You're not going to get Porter Jr., Bull Bull. I just have a hard time believing like there's a ton of GMs out there that are really, really excited about him, which may not be fair as of right now, but thirty million I'm not that excited about it. Yeah. Thirty million in 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 salaries in one year coming back for Harris and Jeremy Grant, and they already had Jeremy Grant in Oklahoma City. Right. I think Denver, who I've never quite understood why people would always be like, Hey, this is a team that can win the championship. There's just not much there. And even Murray's comments after game three, where he said, quote, I think we just have a
0: target on our back. Why do you think you have a target on your back? Yeah, there's no anything. Denver conversation at all. And by the way, right. they should have lost game one, except Murray got red hot, which he does like every four or five games. But it was, really, was unbelievable. Utah could have won the first three. Um, but... Yeah, but no, I, just, I think I just you're right. Because,
1: I think you're right. I think, right. I think series, Denver's
0: slow this. Yeah.
1: I think they just hope Porter Jr. turns into like a real 35-minute-a-night kind of borderline star and has stops having the defensive lapses that have prevented Malone from trusting him, which still is happening at times. So...
0: Are we sure Denver has the right coach? Uh, I know this is gonna
1: make you laugh, but the great Chris Wallace, who I know has some bad trades on his resume, but back when I first first was breaking into the business, no one was nicer to me as far as being a front office guy. I never told me any secrets, but he would talk to me about theories, right? He would talk to me about the general thought of the disconnect between front office and coach. And it was brilliant stuff. Chris was really great, gracious. And he actually taught me a lot of stuff that still holds up now. And he'd be like, there's just completely like different philosophies battling with each other between the front office being like, let's develop Porter, and the coach being like, my job is to win the game. And I think Malone's done a good job with getting Jokic and Murray to these points, but the, the Porter stuff, this is a guess, but that had to be incredibly frustrating all year for the front office to be like, are you serious? Remember those stretches where we talk about it on this podcast where they'd have all these injuries and he still wouldn't play him any meaningful minutes. And now you see what you have. What if those minutes were real? What if he'd been playing more minutes before? And then you now just trusted him more. If you have real playoff aspirations, which going into it, Denver always looks at the CA or the third seed, look at our record, but Denver not getting any home games in the playoffs. I think this is playing out, even if they beat Utah, which they still certainly could. Again, I could be jamming myself up here, so I should stop talking about it. But, um, Look, we thought it would be Utah because we thought Utah was kind of a mess going into this. And now they've looked at those
0: games two and three. Utah's like almost playing perfect basketball. So we're going to do something. We're going to try something on this Sunday night. We're going to take a break. um, And when we come back, it's going to be an hour and a half later on Sunday night. We're going to take a break. When you come back, we're going to tell you what we thought about Denver, Utah. Second half, game four. And if we learned anything, we'll continue this Denver conversation. So there you go. See you in a second.
1: Everybody loves game
0: shows. Everybody has a podcast. I've got both. Hi everybody, I'm Kyle Grant, and my new show, Ten Questions, is a game show talk show. Athletes, movie stars, everybody will come on, not just to talk, they come on this show
1: to compete. 10 questions that whether they know it or not, are somehow inspired by a moment in their life or their career. Ten questions. 10 points, so much fun. Head over to Spotify and please subscribe to 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt.
0: All right, we're back. We've fast-forwarded your life by an hour and 40 minutes. We just watched a uh, second half of Utah-Denver, which I'm glad we saved this because this was an awesome game. Um, I remember I was talking to Salon House about betting this game today, and I was like, I, I just think Utah has the series wrapped. The only thing that Denver has going for it is the random Jamal Murray, 40 point game. It happened again, but Mitchell was a little bit better. This was one of the most entertaining games of the bubble. What, what was your big takeaway?
1: You're so frustrated if you're Denver because you get an epic game from Murray, which was kind of like what we saw in game one, but was even bigger. And I think that, like, the positives of all of this is we got Jokic, you've got Murray, but even in the two man game with those two guys that I think at times can be a little predictable and limits them, it was on fire. The problem is, is that Donovan Mitchell's on the other side, and Utah has these moments where they're playing unbelievable offensive basketball. They shot from three, they shot 48%. And that's what happens when you have Jokic and, and Murray go off. You're like, how do they lose? You're like, well, because the other team isn't missing from three right now. And this is three games on offense for Utah that's insane.
0: Mitchell, who got the got the mid-2000s Wade thing thrown around with him a few times, including on this podcast by me, is has looked very 06 Wade-ish this series. But I think partly because Denver doesn't really have the apparatus to to contain him i'll be interested to see what happens in the next series which i would assume would be um the clippers unless luca has something to say about it but next series the clippers just have a million guys to throw at him i think it's gonna be a lot harder for him to do the things he was doing in this series
1: yeah they went with grant and as we were taping the podcast so i don't know all the defensive assignments in the first half uh, i'll go back and look but they went with grant there more towards the end, and there was a stretch where it was actually starting to work a little, but then, you know, like really great players with momentum in the ball, they just kind of start their movement a little bit further out, and you're just at such a massive disadvantage. I mean, there was even a time where there's probably a moving screen, but I don't really care because everybody sort of moves on some of these screens, but there was a play where Mitchell went left, was bringing – Grant stayed with him, and then Gobert, instead of staying with the screens just kind of backed up, and Mitchell rode Grant into the back of Gobert – and yeah, he finished on the left side, and Grant's freaking out to the ref, being like it's a moving screen, but it was it wasn't even the game. Gobert was doing one of those Daniel Tice seals. It was just Mitchell. There's something to be said about driving players with the ball that understand how to work their defender into another one of their guys. Like, and it's not everybody's great at it. You know, some people just get the ball. Hey, here's the screen. I'm going to go. Mitchell's great at it, and yeah, uh, he was just better than everybody, which is saying something because Murray was on fire.
0: He reminds me of one of those running backs who can just. Be at full speed all of a sudden and, you know where it's like all of a sudden he's running a four um he, Ty Lawson was a little bit like that during like the two years when Ty Lawson was was really effective and kind of underrated but he would you'd set him a pick and then all of a sudden he was like two feet from the rim and you'd be like what happened um i I think Mitchell I think he's gone up a level from Last year, two years ago, from a sophistication standpoint with how he's navigating the team he has, I think part of it is because no, no Bogdanovich Conley has been rendered basically a sidekick and he's just over and over and over again, has to figure it out. It's a little like the Doncic Harden stuff we were talking earlier, where it's the same guy over and over again, making decisions. And it just feels like he's gone up maybe a half level. You don't agree? No, I'm. I'm not. I'm not
1: saying that. I just. I just think it's. It's kind of ironic that we're finishing the pod with this kind of topic, and yet, if Mitchell were in his second year, like Luca is, we'd be going, "Oh my God! Like, what? What is this guy capable of?" But what we do is, we kind of turn the page on some of these guys just because of the limitations of what happens. Like this was a team I had big expectations for this year. And yeah, even though the record was pretty good, it just never felt like it was clicking the right way. Uh, they lose Bogdanovich. I feel like this is a huge problem because you know, Mitchell in the past uh, it felt like he was trying to do everything. Like I've went, I'm with you. I, I think that Mitchell had, these Wade moments, and then it felt a little westbrook ish where it yeah. was, oh, man, you're you're really just trying to do all of this on your own. And that has to always be the frustration for the most gifted score where how do I figure out a way to keep everybody engaged and, and not be gross but yet know, hey, you know what I don't want is another Jordan Clarkson drive. And it was weird because Quinn left Clarkson out there with the main guys, and then Clarkson did have in the fourth quarter a couple drives that were both bad. They're both turnovers. And then you're watching that going – you know, this is kind of back to the whole Harden-Mory thing where Morey was probably like, why do I want guys that aren't as good as the best guy having the ball at any moment? <laughs> but, yeah. And, and it actually, when you break it down that way, it makes sense. And that's all they did. It was really two teams going with their two-man game. And Gobert continues to show an aggressiveness that... I don't know that we all banked on seeing. I mean, he had that yeah, dunking in
0: traffic. a of times.
1: that catch at the baseline? And then he went right at Jokic to be like, yeah. okay, I'm not even remotely afraid of you. I'm not even sure he always makes
0: that catch, but his confidence is way up here too. It's too bad for Denver because I think if Millsap, I don't think he went off a cliff, but he definitely drove off the road career wise. He's just not the same guy. And, uh, for what they're paying from that spot, a $30 million guy, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier when you're paying big money for these dudes who start hitting 32, 33, 34. It just becomes a complete crapshoot. You know, Toronto's paying big money for Kyle Lowry, who's as good as ever. Utah's paying big money for Millsap and Conley, not as good as ever. You just kind of don't know. There's no way to gauge it. And they're a guy short. I Porter nice, but you even saw it tonight. He's, just, he, he just needs more reps. So to go back to our Denver discussion from before, I think we both really like Murray, but um, I would love to see... No team needs a wing as a third dude more than that team.
1: Yeah, and no like a Barton, really reliable yeah.
0: shooting wing who just can do stuff. Will Barton,
1: not having him is a huge problem, especially Tough. in those kind of second group parts where you worry where the offense is consistently. You're absolutely right on Porter because it wasn't just offense. They were seeking him out as the switch guy there for a little it's bit. Tough. It's and not it was just, he, No, and he's, he's not ready for it. And, and I really felt like there was a possession on offense that showed Porter still not understanding the NBA game where he drove into traffic, got hit, and then passed it and you go, yeah. you know, if you put that up at the rim, you're probably going to get the call there. Although True. if you're a Denver fan, you're looking at the free throw discrepancy, freaking out about it. Um, and I know Murray, look, he got hit on that Gobert thing. Gobert was up vertically, but he came down with his left arm and did foul Murray.
0: It so. was the biggest play of the game. I was, was surprised they didn't challenge it. Maybe because so much basketball happened after the play. Maybe you can challenge it. But I, I thought if you're ever going to challenge a call in a game, that would have been the call down for um, pretty obvious foul in the replay.
1: I don't know the rule off the top of my head so I'm just don't asking either. is this an edit? Just can't they can, don't that doesn't
0: have to be a foul call to be challenged? I Not don't know. Sh- I'm still trying to figure out instant replay. All I know is we can have it to decide whether something was a charge or a block and slow it down and waste 5 minutes of our lives for to decide if somebody leaned by a half inch. But then Murray gets fouled in the biggest play of the game. We can't review that. So I would say they're still in the workshop on that one. Um all right.
1: What? Oh, I just want to look it up. Yeah, they can't, they can't challenge it if it's not called.
0: Well, I wish you could challenge plays like that. Like, if we're going to have challenges, I guess I, I just don't understand the point of the conditional challenge rule. This thing that slows down games for four minutes. And in certain cases, like charge versus block, that's such a blink, blink call. I would much rather see stuff like the Murray stuff get challenged. Like, hey, my guy got fouled on that play. I want I want a replay. You missed it. And now they're down two, and Utah has to make a play at the end. So,
1: anyway. Um, I, would, I would rather the hostile act thing just go away because it's hostile act like 5% of the time. So, let's just get the 5% wrong and keep it moving.
0: Yeah, they should really take a look at uh, every review they've done over the course of the year, and almost like break it down with advanced metrics: what was a good idea, what was worth it, what wasn't worth it. Because I hate it. I hate the break. I hate the break in the game. It got a little quicker during the quarantine, but it still sucks. Uh, Speaking of quarantine, before we go, we'll start a little quarantine corner on Sundays. We're we're uh, we're heading toward toward uh, halfway through month six here. Is it really month six? People are just. People are just kind of getting used to being f- whatever their version of weird is. I mean, for me, it's... What's it been like for you? Around, for, I, I power walk every day around LA for two and a half hours a day. Did you think at calls. this stage of your life you'd be power walking? I used to like to power walk, but I would only do it for an hour. Now I just like I schedule calls around it. Everyone at <laughs> everyone I work with at Ringer and Spotify, if I'm on the phone, they know I'm usually walking around. Then Google Hangouts where I'm just kind of holding the phone and people are just looking at sky and trees, um, and and it's you know otherwise I'd be going nuts. I'd just be around it. You know, my family. We've been around each other for five and a half months now. It's getting a little gamey. Getting a little gamey <laughs> with, with Ben. <laughs> starting to yell at him now.
1: <laughs> Did, what, what where's he, he at with not, like, does he want to go to school really badly now at this point? Yeah, he, he really
0: misses his friends. We, uh, the big thing for him is he just changed rooms. He moved from his room to the guest room. It was just a, just a, a huge power move. Power we move. decorated it. Did yeah, he just, ask? No, it was just like, I'm doing this. I want my own bathroom. It's happening. And, uh, and that was it. And, um, <laughs> it's just, I think everybody's starting to get a little punchy. Six months in. What, what's it been like for you? I
1: haven't left Manhattan Beach in six months. Um, wow. That's for a, any that's, reason. That's an unheard of stretch. Now, I did go to Mammoth for two nights. Okay. And I moved. So that was a big reason why I don't think I went anywhere. And you and I talk pretty regularly. And I kept, I actually had a bag packed, not the go bag, but I had a bag packed for almost a month where I kept going, all right, just get in the car. I drive up to Montana do a mountain stretch, but I just, my fear was, first of all, because I had moved, I had a million things that I had to do to get the move done. And as I'm sitting here in August, the move still isn't hundred percent done. Cause it just whatever it takes time. I can't imagine having a wife because there'd be all sorts of accessories that I'd be getting wrong for the yeah. house. But I regret not getting in the car and doing anything. Cause now I'm, I'm just not used to never going anywhere. But then again, I don't know if I can get on a plane. I can't get on a plane and visit my, my parents at this stage. Cause I would hate if I ended up you know getting something on the plane right over, and then I was the reason somebody else got sick, so that's part of it and I was always afraid if I went on some road trip, like what would the towns be like but i I don't know if you feel this way. We probably still feel it more in l a county uh, the the new normal because it's not normal yet, but I'll see footage from other cities and go, "Well, wait a minute, is it totally normal in these other places and I think it is. I think some places have just decided I'm not making like Florida jokes about the beach or any of that, but i've I've just noted different places where my friends live and they go, yeah, it's actually been pretty standard other than going to a packed bar, which, you know, most, most of my friends at this stage, it's not even something they really do except for maybe, you know, uh, the, the boys weekend or, you know, some kind of golf day that goes a little bit later. But I, I've never been, I think in one place this long since I was in my twenties when I couldn't afford to go anywhere.
0: New York city seems to be the one place that's out of out of all the places we have in america that's been changed the most um a lot of people fleeing from there. rents are dropping um there's there's been more crime in certain areas and things like that and you know a lot of people are just leaving new york and and do you, you have know, friends that have bolted because i do yeah i have, I have, I have multiple friends, that, friends that bolted
1: friends that are lucky enough to
0: have a, an escape plan but I, have pe- I know, I know multiple people that just said, fuck it, moved and moved to, you know, New Jersey or Connecticut or whatever. They're just out. So I'll be interested to see how long that takes. I think New York's pretty resilient, but there have been stories recently about people wondering is, is New York going to bounce back from this with all the restaurants that have closed and um, the inability of, you know the a subway driven culture which now who wants to be in a subway all the elevators all the big office buildings and then you know people thinking like are monday through friday driving into new york city or commuting into new york city so you can spend time in an office when we're learning in real time that you can get a lot of your job done at home what's the point of that why why even do that? Why? Maybe you could just work from home, go in the office one day a week. So it does feel like there there's patterns now that are shifting that will stay in place for in it to at least some degree after all this stuff comes back.
1: Yeah, I know. I can't even compare myself to anybody. You know, sitting here saying, "Oh, I haven't been able to go anywhere." When I know that work is fine, so I, I'm really. I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm complaining. It's just a change in my yeah. routine um, because I. I do feel bad for the people that are wondering when this is going to end. But I also uh, I wonder how many of the companies I, I feel like some of the tech companies looked at it a little bit like college football, where once one conference was like, hey, we're done this fall. It felt like there was a bunch of announcements from the biggest companies in tech that have just said no office work until June of next year. And it did make me wonder, does that is that because it actually makes a little bit more financial sense, or is it a liability? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can read on it, but it doesn't mean I trust what I'm reading. But well, I... there's
0: there's liability stuff that gets removed. Okay, and then uh, you know there, it is cheaper to you don't have to. You could cancel your parking and do subtle things like that. You could, you know, you have leases for let's say twenty floors in an office. Maybe you just do a lease for five of the floors. All that stuff. I there's good... I just think people now realize something that I probably knew a little earlier than some people, just cause I had been working from home a lot and it is easier to do stuff at home sometimes. Like the office is great. And I, I miss some stuff with the ringer, like just the spitball sessions and just being able to be in the room with people, you know, meeting with salespeople. There's some real advantages to being in the room, but for the most part, you can patch this together by like 80, 90%, at least for what I do for a living. Yeah. I would miss it though. And I, I do think you're this way. And it's like, again, lucky enough
1: to have the freedom of, okay, maybe I don't have to be in the office five days a week. But you know, when people were like, why do you like living in Connecticut? I said, well, I actually don't hate West Hartford. I just wanted to do something different at that time. But I would, if I were still at ESPN, I would really miss being in the studio all the time and right. going in. Like it, it gave me energy. I would show up. It didn't matter what the day was. It Didn't matter anything that was going on in my life at least for this profession. And I understand, you know, when you're not on air, it's a little different, but counting down, I'd be in my office, I'd be writing out stuff, make a couple phone calls, call in Saruti, double check with something and then be like, okay, are we good to go? And there's just an energy around it where the worst day wasn't that bad. It it was pretty good. And if I were doing five days a week and I know that they've brought back some of the studio stuff, but a lot of it's still pretty remote and there's some split screen stuff. I would I would miss that so much. And I look, I, I know I wasn't at the ringer all the time, but I still liked going up once a week. Cause you felt like you were a part of something. Right. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way.
0: Yeah. It's weird. Like we did that lottery show on Thursday that I actually thought was really fun. And it's, you know, it's really hard to do a four person zoom. We were doing something with Roger for the first time and all that. And we pulled it off. It would have been more fun if the four of us were together. And I, I think it's just easier to do media. It's easier to do the stuff we do if you can see each other and play off each other and just different energy. Um, but I think from an just an office standpoint and meetings and things like that, like we got to Spotify. You know, they bought us and it became official. It was like eight days before the pandemic hit, and um, you know we're trying to get all this stuff done. And meanwhile, it's we haven't really met any of these people in person. It's just when you think about it, it's. Really odd, like a couple of my bosses I had met already and a couple other people, but for the most part, it's all people I've only seen on Zoom, like I'm looking at you now, and it's like, man, this is on the one hand weird. On the other hand, weird that this is pull-offable, you know? Like you're integrating this whole side into what we're doing, I'm learning all these things, and yet I'm never in an office with anybody. So I don't know but what you have that no choice about the future. Yeah, we have no, no. choice, but it's actually yeah. like workable
1: there are so many things just in life where you go Well, that can't happen that would never work and you go well do you know that i mean it's just easy to be dismissive of it and everything a lot of stuff that's happening now like oh that's not going to work i mean manhattan beach is kind of interesting because definitely some places went out of business but now it's almost like a european town at night because they have just said all right we're building all this outdoor seating forget the parking spaces so it's become even more localized here than it already was but if you walk around on a friday or saturday night it feels like you're walking through some small European town because of all the seating. So part of it, you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. But you know, like everybody, you have these moments where you, you kind of miss the normalcy of everything. So
0: what's the gym situation like for you? I'm getting a lot of questions about that for you.
1: Well, there was uh the Equinox did open for a little stretch there and I was a little on the fence about it. And I go, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to see what it's like. And it was uh, it was weird because it, w- it wasn't busy, but then you weren't required to wear a mask while you're working out. So like every girl that got done up that I saw was was not wearing a mask and they were all younger. So I was like, wow, that really surprises me. And I wore a mask every time. And then I never thought I'd like working out at home, but I just, in the new place, I have a garage. It's it's pretty decked out. I I put together as much stuff as I can. I have this new trainer who's a buddy of mine from high uh, college, not high school. I don't talk to any high school. And it's... I'm in a perfect routine. Like, I, I actually like it now. I used to be a big afternoon guy. And now, until my day starts with putting myself through something, I'm not right. So, pretty much, I wake up. I look at a few things, send some work emails, just like you do. Deal with booking the show and all that kind of stuff. And usually, by 8 or 9, I'm ready to go. But I don't open the garage door so that people can see me. I notice that a lot in Manhattan Beach, where people keep the garage door open to kind of, you know, hey, I'm in here. And I'm, I'm very focused. Although, I threw like- up in my, I threw up in my mask today. That was disgusting.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, I had like one of those cayenne pepper and lemon juices to get the day going because, you know, it It and I, yeah. I was doing this new kind of high tempo thing and it was really messing me up. And I threw up cayenne lemon
0: water juice into my mask while I was wearing it. So that sucked. That sounds awful. I like that you're working out in your garage like Spacey and American Beauty. Less creepy. <laughs> like a less creepy. Spacey American left Beauty the door Spacey. open.
1: I don't want to be compared to Spacey ever, but I I don't even know he's allowed to be brought up anymore. But there's nothing better than trying to portray a character in a movie or a TV show who thinks he's getting it back a little bit where he's on just a Joe Weider plastic plates with sand in them, bench press, and all the weights are stupid, and it's like a pyramid at both ends, and then he's, he's just doing a couple little reps, and he's like, all right, I am fucking back.
0: I, uh... I'm running out of movies to watch. La- Last night I watched The Vanished starring Thomas <laughs> Jane, Ann Hetch, and Jason Patrick. How? How does that
1: happen? Give me the thought process of, of surfing was, and then landing on that.
0: It was a new movie. Um, I was so fascinated by the threesome of Thomas Jane, Ann Hetch, and Jason Patrick, all of whom, you know, it's like when when uh, the Mavs were trying to get you know, LeBron in 2014, and eventually you just have to settle for DeAndre Jordan and a couple others. And I, I've been very open about this many times. I'm always in on a kidnap movie. Okay. All right. Give me back my son. I got it. If somebody's taken, I'm, I'm at least giving you a chance. So, um, it was also directed by Peter Fascinelli, Jenny Garth's ex-husband. So that was another draw for me (laughs) because if it's written and directed by Peter Fastenelli, I'm like, all right, this, from a comedy standpoint, this might be good. Um, it, uh, (laughs) it was exceedingly watchable and somebody got kidnapped and that's just where I am with movies right now because I I don't know what they're doing. Like they keep showing the tenant that the tenant, uh, (laughs) commercials, which has been coming out for three months now. And it seems like it's finally coming out and it's like the first, real movie that feels like it's come out in like three months where it's like oh this is actually a movie they spent real money on with real actors and real director
1: i'm starting to think that's the movie that christopher nolan has (laughs) never gonna come out yeah like that was the next level that (laughs) nolan went to where there is no movie there's just clips and it's gonna go on for two years and then you're gonna have to piece them together and there's gonna be some mail and kit it's real high level stuff at least that's a guess right now uh
0: well, I think they're going to stack it so that all the movies come out in, like, December for, to be eligible for Oscars. Like, they're basically hoarding all these, hoping that life's going to be normal before December, but then it's not going to be, and they're just, all of a sudden, like, 30 good movies are going to come out in the span of two weeks. It's going to be amazing.
1: Can I ask you a kidnapping-related story? Yeah. If Ben were kidnapped, would you give it a few days?
0: <laughs> I think they would give him back. <laughs> he would just wear him down. <laughs> like, hey guys, this house sucks. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? There's no video games. You have no Pop-Tarts? Fucking Christ, this place sucks. Jesus. He's all excited because, you know, Madden's coming out Tuesday.
1: That's right. I'm hoping to get some codes for some listeners. We'll see.
0: And Lamar's on the cover. And Lamar already had to sit out two practices in a row mysteriously for reasons that remain unclear this weekend. There was, like, some tired arm rumors. Nobody knows what's going on. That Earl Thomas thing was interesting. I I started to get to the point, like, hey, does anybody think maybe it's Earl Thomas's fault? (laughs) Right. Anyone? (laughs) Well, it seems like the Patriots would be a logical suitor for him, considering they don't have Chung. We got to get him. And they have all this cap space.
1: We got to... You know what we should do is we should call... (laughs) He'll do it, too, because... We should just zoom Cowherd in on one of the next ones and have you and him go at it about the Pats are tanking.
0: Oh, that's that's his dumbest take of all time. <laughs> the Pats are gonna go like eleven and five or twelve <laughs> and four again. They
1: are. Well, in that division, why would they ever it's just not Belichick. If you guys really think that he's gonna he Belichick would never want four and twelve on his resume in the first year post Brady.
0: Never. He's Just by him being on the sideline, we're eight and eight. I don't even care who's on the team. And then if Cam, who has looked good by all accounts, can give us like a B or a B plus, now it's 11 and five. I'm not worried. I got to say, my guard is up with this football season though. I still have not like, I haven't done any fantasy homework yet. I'm just starting to get emails from my buddy Gus who runs the Picks League I'm in. The two commissioners of the fantasy leagues I'm in starting to sniff it out. But no... Nobody wants to fully admit this is about to happen. And we're talking, it's like, what's today's date? Like the 20th?
1: 23rd. No, 23rd? 23rd,
0: yeah. I mean, we're three weeks away, right? Two weeks away? Yeah. yeah, a little less than three, right? And there's no preseason, so it's all out of whack. But this is, seems like it's going to happen. And I, I I just can't wrap my head around it.
1: I, I always thought NFL would at least try and... I would think it's a little bit more containable. Yeah. Uh, we got Texans Chiefs September 10th. God, that seems,
0: it seems September va- 10th. That's 20 days from now. That's amazing. I, I, so I'm going to have to start doing fantasy football. I, I mean, I was listening to our fantasy pod that we have. That's the only thing. So I kind of know what's going on. I have the Chiefs, the Chiefs running back with the three names seems like the guy. He's going to be the hot guy this year. He'll Clyde. go. He's going to go go way too high, yeah. Oh, way too high or for $20 more than he should. Everyone, because Damon Williams is sitting out and everyone's talking about how awesome he is, but it seems like he's got the buzz already. Yeah, that's the thing about fantasy. And look, fantasy's
1: awesome. I'm not being anti-fantasy guy, but over the years, whenever I would look at some of the draft averages on people, there would just always be this running back. Like if Eddie Lacy didn't go second. And you go, do you really want to take Eddie Lacy... Ahead of every other player except for two because you're projecting him to do something that he's never done before. Like That's the part. And I think it definitely was with the running backs because back then you'd always have to find the running backs. And now it's not even worth it, right? You're probably just better off taking receivers and quarterbacks than trying to piecemeal it. But yeah, Clyde Clyde Edwards or Lair is going to go too high.
0: My strategy is I always want an awesome quarterback. So either I'll take like four of them or I'll just take like the Mahomes person. You're like Gruden. I just, I just hate not having a good quarterback in fantasy. It it sucks me out. Yeah. It just blows. You can always like patch together the other pieces. Um, Batman trailer. I didn't see it. You didn't watch it. No. Who's Batman
1: now? Uh, your, your daughter's former favorite twilight actor. I remember you writing about him. Our Pat. Yeah. He's Batman. Yeah. He's Batman. And the trailer looks incredible. So we shall see, but I just I want to know the answer. I'll die before I get it. How many Batmans is too many Batmans? Because it's pretty unbelievable how often that can be recreated. And I'm going to watch it. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm going to watch it. But I don't know. Is has there ever any been anything like that from a content standpoint where you can just keep coming up with the same angle on a storyline? I mean, they remade the Spider-Man thing, but I guess it had a lot to do with the studios. I don't know that much about it, so I'm not going to pretend that I do. But I looked at the trailer and it just, it just dawned on me. I go, this is unbelievable. Like the Nolan Batmans, the first two especially, but the second one.
0: The first are, two were,
1: the second one's one of my favorites sec, of the century. It, it's was one of my favorite all-time movies. And you yeah. go,
0: now you want to follow that? That's like following Sabin. It's weird because when I was growing up, the old Adam West Batmans, I used to love those because they're the syndicated where Burgess Meredith was the penguin and Julie Newmar was the oh, We didn't the know woman. any better
1: either too. It yeah. just was cool and colorful and looked different.
0: There was always good fights and all that stuff. But then, then it became kind of ironically fun in the 80s to remember those shows. But then all of a sudden they were making Batman with Nicholson as the Joker in 89. And it was a huge deal. That was That, that felt like one of the biggest movies of the decade that they were doing that. And Michael Keaton was going to be Batman, all that stuff. And that was like, what, nine Batmans ago? <laughs> and I was in college when that happened. And is it, I think they've made nine Batmans nine? since. So they did. I think it's like nine. <sighs> all right. So they did the three Keaton Nolan ones. Keaton was in two. Val Ke- Comer's in one. Clooney's in one.
1: Okay. So wait a minute.
0: Wait a minute. That's Keaton, four. Keaton, Keaton Keaton, Val.
1: Um, You just said Clooney. All Val right. might have been in two. No, I don't know. Was he? One? Should we get IT on this? All right. So three with bail. That's seven. And then you're forgetting about, uh, Affleck. Right. So that's eight, eight. But was there a second one that he's part of? Yeah. Like the Justice so league. Sort Same. of. Yeah. The nine. Yeah. I wasn't as locked in on those. I'll admit. I hate to say that about Ben too. Don't tell him I said that.
0: I was fired up that he got the giant paycheck, but yeah.
1: How's he doing? You guys talking a lot lately?
0: Well, he's got, he's got, we're not talking. And, uh, no, he's got the new girlfriend. He's dating the girl from Knives Out.
1: Yeah, no, I'm excited for him. He looks great in some of these paparazzi pictures I've seen. He looks he looks like his shoulders are really
0: coming in again. Uh, I always think, okay. I was talking to somebody about how weird, because we have two of our kids are like almost exactly the same age, but to have the new girlfriend who's like 31, but you have a daughter who's 15... And I just like being in that situation of imagining how those interactions go and the 15, how judgmental the, a 15-year-old girl can be about stuff like that insensitive, and, and just wh- how that would be harder to navigate than being Batman. <laughs> <laughs> like, ri- honestly, <laughs> all of that stuff. <laughs> how, to, how to ingratiate the new kind of stepmom figure into it, but she's some hot 30-year-old actress. I just can't imagine how that goes. I'm probably not going to have to worry about that either so
1: that's not that's not on my list of things what which celebrity has surprisingly ghosted you during the quarantine and which celebrity won't leave you alone <laughs> which celebrity's ghosted me There, i don't know which one is sent which one have you sent two texts to that now you're like oh so i'm not going to text john ham a third time is that how it goes <laughs> like i have i have a celebrity right now where i think he's gotten two texts and a call and I thought we were, we've been pretty close for a long time. And now I, I think, No, no coward. Coward and I are cool. I've been going on the show every now and then. So I, I don't think, I don't, I think the staff likes me coming on the show. Cause I give him, I give him the business, the what for every now and I then. I haven't
0: been invited on lately. Cause every time I come on, it's like a 10, eight round for Simmons. And I think after, I think he loses his confidence after a while I come in hot. I make fun of him. The joy Taylor is always on my side. And I, I just don't think he likes it that much. I like
1: Joy. She's been, uh, she's She's really fun. good. Yeah, yeah. She was fun the last time I went on because every, Cowherd made like three different questions. They turned into like a therapy analogy. And then at the last one I go is, are you, are you all right? Are you right. good? What's going on? And he's doing great. I mean, he was laughing it off, but I was like, we got a lot of therapy. Well, yeah, we need to do that. We need to Zoom. We should have Zoom face-offs now at the end of some of these it's Sunday night. Nobody's doing anything. It's a good idea. And Zoom we'll, crash. Yeah, let's do that. Well, I'll, I'll set up the cow herd one and I'm just going to sit back and get my popcorn.
0: <laughs> All right. Good seeing you. So you got two pods this week and then I'll see you Sunday night. I have no idea what's in store for us Sunday night. We could be like talking about game two of six series or a couple of these series might've gone to seven. Who the fuck knows? Are we I have no do- idea when they're <laughs> starting. South <laughs> Raptors, any of this
1: when we first started a quarantine pods it was all right one book review one one television uh, recommendation oh yeah right and then we we should do at least one kind of tv it doesn't have to be three and you know what we should do is we should do a rereadables, because i finished the first snl book from the Lorne years before he hands it over oh yeah um and i, I, I finished the book you you said it was one of the best oral histories ever it's it's not like a straight oral history, but it's unbelievable. It's great. So it's actually not a total oral history. It's just a lot of no, news.
0: it's like a book book, but yeah. yeah. But like how great was that Chevy chase chapter?
1: The Chevy chase deal where he, like all of these guys are fairly unknown. Yeah. At the beginning. And Lauren has this vision. If there's one thing I take from that whole book is that Lauren, who hadn't had any real success in the United States, he's a Canadian guy. He had married the daughter of a pretty famous television person in Toronto, and he had done some kind of stand up sketch stuff. And he shows up to NBC and it, it acted like he was he was Christopher Nolan today walking into right. a studio like Lauren. I don't even know if he's 30 when the thing starts. Maybe he just turned 30. The confidence from that book, like it was a lesson in there where you just show up going, yeah, I'm the fucking man. Like, this is how we're doing it. And I can't believe he actually got away with it. And then he would quit. He would, every time there'd be a problem about budget or stage or anything he wanted to do, he'd be like, all right, I'm going to quit. And then they just didn't want him to quit. And I had no idea he had actually finally bounced after like five years. But Chevy, as you said, and I'll let you tell it better than I will, but from Chevy in that first year to go from, eh, we'll see how this works out, where he was going to be a writer. He wasn't even going to be one of the actors, and they just loved his energy in the writer's room, and he was kind of pitching sketches to be accepted to be on TV, and then his ascension to that year is, it's a weird, because it's a perfect time for that. I don't know. I don't know that anybody could become
0: that famous that quickly back then, 1975. I did a pod with Lauren in his office, I think in 2014. We talked a lot about that first year, because I was so fascinated by those guys becoming, from going from anonymous to really legitimately famous, where like 20 million people are watching those shows. And the and ratings those, were bad,
1: by the way. And, and it, The ratings weren't even what they would have hoped they would have been, but it was working. You know what I'm saying? Right.
0: But even back then, if you had any any show, you were getting watched by 10 million, 12 million people. But You're right, like this, though. It was 20 million for them in the beginning. By the second year, it was 30, which is what we get for the Super Bowl now. But Chevy went from, you know, weaseling his way, not weaseling, but like maneuvering his way on to be on the show to within 10 weeks, he's, is this the next Johnny Carson on the cover of New York Magazine? And everywhere he's going in New York, people are pointing at him and saying, right, Chevy Chase, you're not, and all that stuff. And I don't remember, fame just doesn't work that way anymore. No, no way. It was, it was you would have to be so established to achieve that
1: kind of fame. And of course it was entirely different. And Lauren hit that note perfectly that we're going to do something on television. That's never really been accepted before. And because it was on late at night on a Saturday, he got away with all the stuff that actually, as it plays out in the book, you can't believe like all these fights he would have with the censors, And he'd always again, get his way because he had like one main NBC exec that mattered with the juice that always kind of back him. And then Chevy leaves after one year, which I think is an easy thing to forget. And I love the Bill Murray part of it because Bill Murray has, has always been somebody for me where it doesn't really matter what he's doing. I just think he's funny. And there's, there's like peak Bill Murray where he's going nuts and then there's subtle Bill Murray. But it's, it was bombing. Like he wasn't funny and people didn't like it. And then they even did this weird break the fourth wall thing with him where he does this monologue where he starts asking people to laugh more at his jokes and hey, I'm sorry, I'm Bill Murray. It'd really mean a lot if you would laugh. And that like totally bombed. And they're yeah. thinking they're going to have to get rid of the guy. And then just this one skit, that shower skit clicks and he starts doing a little bit more of his goofy sketch stuff he had done in Chicago and it totally works. But like Chevy and Bill almost get into a fight and then everybody thought that Bill was kind of a tough kid because he was from a place in Chicago where he was fighting his whole life. And then the Belushi stuff is, the Belushi stuff is (laughs) worth it just for the book.
0: Belushi stuff's amazing. We did the Caddyshack pod last week. We were talking about how Chevy and Bill Murray in the same movie. And they hadn't seen each other since they almost, they got in a legit fight at SNO when Chevy came back to host. The book's great. Um, it's by Doug Hill and Jeff Weingrad, I think. It is. And um, I just think, I think it's just called Saturday Night. I think but it is. But it's available on uh, Apple Books. It's one of my favorites. It's a good read. Daddy Murphy stuff's good too. All right, Rosillo, I'll see you in a week. All right, sounds good. All right, don't forget, Rewatchables, on Monday night, we're doing 40-year-old Virgin. Thanks to Spotify. Thanks to Home Depot. We're decorating your home is now easier than ever before. They offer free delivery on select items, $45 or more. And now for a limited time, 10% off the styles you love when you use code BillSimmons10 at checkout. BillSimmons10. Valid on select items only online. Find exactly what we are looking for and more at HomeDepot.com slash decor.